0: What's up, YouTube? What's up, gentlemen? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? We got a uh, man. We got a full house in here today in the Three O Seven Project Studio. We're coming at you live on YouTube, but you we have we, we uh, you know we we got Chad, your host, in here. We got the tech guy back here behind it. Y'all y'all know. You've never seen the tech guy before. He doesn't have a camera trained on him. And we've got Sherbet Green over here in the on the couch. And then we've got Miss Brooke. Oh my gosh, Brooke kinda
1: changed it up a little bit, son. Switching it up.
0: <laughs> That's where So where Brooke usually sits on the podcast, we got a special guest for you guys today, Evan Slaughter, fit to serve. Uh, we've spent all morning out doing some fun projects with Evan. It was really cool for me today to actually get to do some some comedy type content. Right? It was really cool for me to be able to get to watch you work, Evan, and to see how your mind ticks, how you you know how you flow. And dude, you're the real deal, man. You're the real deal. <laughs> I, I, dude, I was wondering because I'm a big fan of Evans. All right. I found Evan on Instagram. I don't know. It's been months ago. Somehow. All right. I found this dude and his stuff like stood out. It's, it's, it is unbelievably funny. Like it will make your day. <laughs> it's so good that I immediately then had to go and share it with Brooke, my wife. And of course, she loves comedy-type content over everything else. That's her her lane, comedy and animals. And then she fell in love with Evan. We've been following him for a long time, watching his stuff. And uh, it's always intriguing to me because you think somebody that's this funny, somebody that's this good at what they do, they've got to be acting. He ain't acting, man. Oh, He's yeah. the real deal, dude. <laughs> like he showed up this morning and it's like, okay, this is exact okay, this is legit, man.
1: And so, thank you for being on the podcast. Man, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I don't know how to take that if that's a compliment or not. Oh, I, big time. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's how I do it. Uh that that's how I'm comfortable making these videos, man, and I think that's why they have success is because I don't have to act, you know that process so i i again i appreciate it being here and looking forward to spending more time with you guys yeah it was a lot
0: it was a lot of fun this morning and you know i was glad the tech guy did pretty good this morning he uh he's been slipping here lately dude i know chili you don't know what's been going on around here you know you live kind of way up north and you kind of do your own thing during the week run the store and uh, the tech guy has been slipping this this past week or Big so. Time. Huh? time. Uh, it's turkey season. Mm. And, um, you know, he's been doing this turkey hunting thing. The Joker has missed phone calls mm. that have been on the schedule, completely forgot about them. Chad,
2: he, Chad missed that one too. What?
0: Well, yeah, but I'm not the tech guy. It's hmm. not my job to to remember phone. No, calls. I want right? No,
3: I wasn't. I wasn't aware of this. I'm glad you're making <laughs> yeah. me aware. Go
0: okay. ahead. What? What else? So he he missed that. Uh, just the other day, uh, him and I had a a, a a kind of a a deal, a money thing worked out, and we had squared it away. Just this kind of money deal between us, <laughs> we had squared it away Alone. months ago. Well, he's getting ready to paint his truck, and he sends me a text, and he says, "Hey, Bubba, can you bring me that money you owe me? Cause I'm getting ready to buy the paint stuff for my truck." I said, "Well, I'll bring you some money if you want me to, but I thought we, I thought we were squared up on that kind of months
2: ago." Mind you, he did still also owe me money, but oh. just not that. This Joker
0: was trying to dun me for something. We like, I'm talking like thousands of dollars
3: that huh. we
1: squared up on a long time ago and here i thought blake was a good guy just from meeting him this morning and all the work he did on the on the videos this morning i thought he was a good guy yeah he'll Probably trick you yeah hey, i'll like, show oh, you real quick wow. <laughs> you better watch he, he it. Wow.
0: usually is man but i'm gonna tell you turkey season does something to that yeah. joker
2: yeah i ain't studying this work stuff this turkey season i mean this <laughs> all this stuff just kind of had to go on hold because you know uh, you want to learn something it's turkey season an old boy got plans in the morning. Well, and this weekend, I ain't going to be able to do it. But when I get back, I'm going to have to go turkey hunting. You know, this work stuff's got a pause. He'll probably have some collapsible shotgun in his backpack on the basic course this weekend.
0: <laughs> or I might twist my <laughs> ankle tomorrow. Yeah.
3: Well, me and uh, me and uh, Chad, have we'll, we'll deliberate on what... <laughs> What you're going to face, the the consequences you're going to face due to that, because
2: listen, y'all can't deliberate on nothing because I'll shut this unit down. <laughs>
3: no, man, the last it's two already mo- shutting down. The last two months, you've already been on uh, half pay, and yeah. And extra duty, so mm. we'll just carry that over yeah. to the next month.
0: Half ne- month's pay times two? Yeah. And well, extra I'm duty. past
2: my probationary period, so y'all either got to fire me or
0: <laughs> whatever. Evan, I don't know, you know, in the military, I don't know if you ever went through the UCMJ process, but I did. And uh, I know what it feels like to get half month's pay times two taken plus extra
1: duty. Blake don't know what that feels like yet, man. Uh, I too was a part of the UCMJ process. I must say, pulled a lot of extra duty. Uh, they were trying real hard to not cut my my pay in half, but ultimately I pushed them to cut my pay in half. One time.
0: So I'm glad I didn't
1: that lose rank awesome, though. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, my mentor, uh, my men, my Seal mentor, Frank Cutler. He uh, he told me before I ever joined the Navy. He said, "Dude, you're not a real Seal unless you get to go through that UCMJ process." And, <laughs> You know that's just part of that's part of it, man. You part, got yeah. you got to learn what that feels like. The good thing about it is, is when we if Blake keeps slipping, and uh, he gets half months pay times two taken, that half months pay that goes and it's going to be divvied out between
2: Chili and I. Sweet. So okay, look, Chad went to calling everybody. He couldn't get me on the phone the other day, and uh, that's another thing. He wanted to answer my phone he, call. Kat said he was panicking she said he was calling everybody in the family nobody would answer you know how he never answers anybody but nobody would answer him and she said man he was freaking out she said i've never seen him like that i don't know what was wrong with him well
0: yeah screw you guys man y'all know i don't have to answer when y'all call me but when i call you you're obligated to answer <laughs> chili what? Why are you telling me? I've called you three times this week, man, and you don't answer your phone. You call me back ten minutes later. You got to tighten up on that. Look, all of y'all are slipping.
3: All of y'all are slipping. Now I had phone malfunctions.
2: Look, I don't want to hear your excuses. Billy didn't answer me yesterday, and he called me back at eight o'clock, and he said, "Hey, I hope this is a good time." And then he just <laughs> rolled right into what he said, what he had to say. I thought, well, I guess
3: it don't matter if it was or not. <laughs> <laughs> he just threw that in there as a respectful measure right man i've been whew, i've been making i've been willing and dealing lately so
0: <laughs> all right um this episode is brought to you by our patreon members if you guys don't know about patreon it's a private community that we have here at three of seven project uh patreon is kind of like an it well it's an app that you download on your phone uh, you can join our page, 307 Project, on Patreon. And uh, you can support the podcast. You can support everything that we do here at 307 Project. As a matter of fact, every one of you guys who contribute on Patreon, you are a huge part of enabling us to do everything that we do. All right? You're a huge part of that. And so over there, we put out as much extra content as we can possibly produce so we have our range series on there which is uh about 90 something minutes worth of content out on the range if you guys like to shoot and uh, you want to you want some some good uh lessons on the fundamentals of marksmanship and gear and that type of stuff you can access all that on patreon at any time if you join us Uh, we do a live show three sundays a month called resurrected which is probably my favorite thing that I do. It's a, it's a Bible-based content where we get to have live conversation, Q&A, and all that good stuff with everybody on Patreon. I've got the Nuff Said podcast over there, and um, it's just a really cool place for us to communicate with each other, for you guys to comment uh, with with us and, and, and each other, and we're not limited by the... <clears throat> you know the social media algorithms it's a it's not a fan page it's actually a community so patreon you guys are are what makes all this happen we couldn't put the time into the podcast here if it weren't for you guys so thank you for supporting us and if you want to join us over on patreon we'll attach a link to patreon in the description of this episode so if, if you're if you're too dumb to figure out where the description of this episode is, then you probably don't even need to be on Patreon. But if you're smart enough on, to find man. that, we're going to make it easier for <laughs> you. And you can just click on there and go to it, all right? You need to talk to Jeff Cordell. Uh, Um This episode is also brought to you by our man Evan Slaughter and Fit to Serve. Uh, if you want something to brighten up your, your life and maybe you're feeling a little poopy pants one day and you want to get a good laugh. You need to go and follow Evan Slaughter at
1: fit to serve one on Instagram and fit to serve on TikTok. Roger that and I'm on YouTube, but not like y'all are on YouTube. I'm trying to grow that YouTube, but if you can find fit to serve pretty much anywhere you'll find me. That's awesome, man. Evan made a trip uh, from Birmingham, Alabama today to
0: come out and spend time with us. So he had a couple hour drive early this morning and uh, we wouldn't be able to do this episode and have the conversation that we're about to have without him being here. We don't have guests on a lot of times on the 307 podcast, so it's really special when we do. Um, I got so many questions for you, Evan, because like I said, I'm a fan. Uh, there's very few people that I follow or that I see online that I'm actually like, man, I would like to meet that dude. I would like to know more about him or her and their mission and and. Um, but I, I've been drawn to you, man. So I, I want to really dig in on this episode to to who you are. Who's who's the who's the man behind the the awesome. Uh, you know, content that, that is coming out that's making so many people laugh and, and it, enriching people's lives and and uh, who's the man behind that? And and then, you know, we'll eventually get into where you are currently and what your mission is. And you guys on YouTube at the end of this episode, if y'all got any questions after listening to, to Evan speak here on the podcast, you guys will be able to interact with us in the comments as usual tor- towards the end of the episode. So, Brother, I just want to start out with your your, your childhood, growing up, man. Alabama, right? Yeah, uh, Al- What, what was it like
1: growing up down in Alabama, man? So, born in Montgomery, uh, you know, southern, more southern Alabama. Quickly after being born, we moved up to Birmingham um, and lived in, in Hoover most of my life, so... Growing up in Alabama was, you know, probably similar to to here in Georgia, just typical Southern, you know, lifestyle. Of course, in in Alabama, it's like it's decided upon birth if you're an Alabama or an Auburn fan. So we're an Auburn family living 45 minutes away from the University of Alabama. So there was that, you know, growing up a little bit. But, yeah, normal childhood, man, was into sports and all that kind of stuff and then uh, went to college in Nashville for a little while.
0: What did uh what'd your parents do while you were growing up, Evan? Were you close with them
1: or Yeah, so my dad actually when when of course this is kinda of funny, I guess birth control isn't what it is now because my mom was on birth control when she had me and my brother, my older brother. I'll be dang. Wow. So, <laughs> surprise, huh? Not only were we a surprise, but we were trying to be prevented at the time <laughs> is how I like to word it. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So, my dad was working my my family, um <clears throat> my dad's sister, so his brother-in-law, they have like a 5,000 acre working farm in oh, wow. Hope Hole, which is right outside Montgomery. Uh-huh. They raise cattle and all that kind of stuff. My dad was working uh on the farm. Just just herding cattle, raising cattle, and after the two, uh oh, me and my brother are like eighteen months apart. He realized I got to make some money <laughs> to uh-huh. support this family, so that's when they moved to Birmingham. He went back to school, was working and going to school at night, okay, um, to to finish his degree, and then he got just a business degree, and then started working for uh, an engineering company, and uh, so yeah, pretty pretty middle class, normal. Yep. No lifestyle growing up How
0: about sports and stuff. What sports did you play? What did you excel at? What did you enjoy? Um, because you obviously like sports. I, I mean, like sports. look, dude, this is my let him know. This is my gift dude, from Evan. Me, let me them and know me this and is the Chili coolest and thing tech ever. <laughs> I all got one. This is a pickleball carbon fiber pickleball paddle. Uh, yes, so we, you know, I'm not a sports guy. I don't understand. Yeah, sport. we know. Chili here can name every single, uh, co- NBA basketball player. He okay. can name every single one their number on their bib or whatever they wear. <laughs> it's called a jersey, and, and, Chad. And also where they played college. Now, Literally every single one he, he's a he's a walking sports genius.
1: Wow. So what what sports wise I mean what, how did you connect with that, man? So my dad, for those that don't know i'm a, I'm a fairly short, stocky build, naturally built like my father. My dad was big into wrestling. He was a wrestler growing up. Um, and so I kind of got into wrestling in middle school, but played a lot of baseball. Um, up until I was about fifteen years old, so Good from man. what you know, position I played second base, catcher as I got a little bit older, and then center field as I got even older because I was fairly fast at the time. Okay, so loved baseball. Um, I also played catcher. There you go. A very,
0: very unknown fact about the old bull here. Yeah, I played baseball, the only sport I've ever played for a few years in in middle school age. And I was a, dude, I was a jam-up catcher. Oh, come on. By by, by the way, <laughs> nice. I forgot to give y'all y'all's weekly reminder, YouTube. If you think you're training harder than me, you you just bullcrapping yourself, man. <laughs> you're full of crap. You think you're training harder than me? Stay on track, you're man. You're a bunch of dang turds, man.
3: He's got to so, get his, I know. you know, I see now
0: out. why we connected. Mm. We were both catchers. Yeah elite level athletes yeah for sure did you wear when you were a catcher did you wear the the um, pads that went on your calf the, the knees, no, knees I, 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 yeah he's not it, a wuss it, it was always a dilemma <laughs> I, I didn't mean, even wear a Chad chest did. protector
2: you uh, did
0: <laughs> it was always he didn't a, wear
2: a glove man
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dude it was always a dilemma you know of whether to wear those or not because they were more comfortable, but kind of like if you yeah. wanted to be hardcore and you wanted to be fast and move, you, you couldn't wear those. Those are for
1: wusses, man. Those things. They're knee savers, yeah. I do have a funny story about catcher in Little League, though. Um, it was a dads versus the kids, um, you know, pre, pre-start of the season game, practice game. So the dads would come out, <laughs> they played with us on the field, and it was kind of us versus the dads. And they had a dad as the all-time pitcher for both sides. All right, so I'm playing catcher. The Dad throws it. It's a pass ball. It was a bad pitch. All right. We got a guy coming from third to steal home. Just as the catcher should, I, you know, take my mask off, go back to retrieve the ball. Pitcher's supposed to be at home plate, and I throw it to home plate. He catches it, tags the guy out, right? This dad runs past me, flies past me. Off the mound past me. We're both getting to the ball at the same time. He turns around and to throw it thinking I'm at home plate for some reason and hits me smack in the face. <laughs> it knocked me out. The uh, the ambulance had to come. I had to have my nose cauterized. Gosh. You know, my face oh, was busted man. open. So catcher ain't no joke it ain't it's a
0: physical it's like the most physical position i guess in baseball is that right yeah they get
3: more wear and tear than anybody else If if you catch every day i mean
0: i mean i remember having some dudes sliding into home home plate and i would just be like this I put this knee down and just block them. Yeah. They, they couldn't score a, oh a goal on gosh. me. <laughs> they could not score a goal on me, son. A goal, yeah. man. Well, in them baseball yeah. goals? I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you.
1: <laughs> you ain't got to tell me. I already know, bro. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
0: Mainly all
3: about them baseball goals. Yeah, <laughs>
2: mainly okay.
0: Football mainly bat.
3: In the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know he is a football bat. Now, if, you know about, about. Football. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, I know about football. If you know what I'm talking about, Chad have. is a football bat through and through.
0: <laughs> football is about the stupidest sport on up earth, up and down, man. top to bottom. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, man. I mean, it's baseball first, okay? Because you know you got to be an intelligent <laughs> human <laughs> to put to play baseball, and then you got Next, after that would be soccer, you know, but football is the stupidest freaking sport on earth. If you watch football, you're about an idiot. <laughs> I, you know, Well, that just goes to show the the, um, the intellectual level of most of our society, you know, how low it actually is because football is so popular and it's a s- retarded sport. Um, okay, play baseball up to about...
1: You said, what, about 15? 15. Okay. Yeah. And so you're growing up a little now. I'm growing up. I'm in high school, not playing in high school. Why not? I really just didn't even try out. It's like As soon as I hit high school, I was just more concerned with hanging out and having friends and partying and just doing. I mean, I was the kid that did not study in high school, coasted through with some Cs. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. no effort C kind of guy, which yep. I think that's pretty impressive, too. <laughs> you know, most people don't study and fail. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. was me. I, I was a no effort fail. Yeah. No effort yeah. still got to say, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. No effort C average. I mean, you know, they teach you that that's average. I'm, that's what I was going for well. was average. <laughs> <laughs> so basically a straight A student in my mind. No, oh, I, I, right. I I like that. I mean, Just imagine if I put forth effort. That's right. If you was going a hundred percent, if I was going a hundred percent, yeah. I was
0: a no effort. Go around to each of my teachers the last day of senior year and beg them <laughs> to change my grades <laughs> yeah. in the computer so I can get they the crap get out of that here. place. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, they hated me enough to change my grades for me and allow me to graduate. Perfect. Yeah. So, so that um, takes effort
1: too. So yeah. But yeah, that you know coasted through, and and uh, I I. Went to the SAT or ACT. We took the ACT. And I remember I went with this girl, like we rode together down there. Was this your girlfriend? or? No, it was just a friend. We actually didn't even go to the same high school. She was just basically trying to motivate me to take the ACT. So it was like, we'll ride together down there. I mean, I didn't want to even take it. I don't know why. I just wasn't a test taker. And it was like on a Saturday. Like who wants to take a you know who wants to take a daggone
0: Scantron? It was probably Scantron Scantron, for sure. Freaking terrible, dude. I'm gonna name my first kid
1: Scantron. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Just in honor. Scantron, son of a Scantron. (laughs) I like that. You know. So, because those those tests are like non-existent now, I think. But man, a good Scantron test, yeah, (laughs) fill in that bubble, baby. Come on, and if you get outside the lines, that might affect your score. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So she looks at me, and I I don't even have a pencil. She says, "You don't even have a pencil. You're supposed to have a calculator, some other things. Number two, you don't have a pencil." I was like, I don't have a pencil, so she had to give me a pencil, give me a calculator. I went in there, got a 19 on the ACT. No study again, which 19 is not great. Hey, that'll get you in college. They got me into a private Christian school in Nashville called Lipscomb, which I think it was well, no more of the money effort, <laughs> you know, or the, or the cost of going to that school that also helps get you in because it's. Private Christian college wasn't cheap, and I had some help from the state of Alabama that my granddad had set up whenever I was younger. Okay. And I kind of knew that that was going to be my option was to go to Lipscomb. So, you
0: know, talking about this, it doesn't sound like it sounds like you were just going, you were just going to uh, or pursuing college just to kind of go through the motions. I mean, did you have. It doesn't sound like it was something you were driven to do. You're riding down there with this girl to do the ACT just for the just for the heck of it, right? So, I mean, you, are you just going through the motions because this is kind of the next step that society tells us to take, or, or did or did you have your actually have your sights on something moving into that next phase of your life as a young adult in college? It was more
1: uh, pressure from the parentals yeah i think you know um mom went to college dad went to college which i, I looking back now i took that opportunity for granted i guess you know i wasn't as grateful as a as a younger adult you know that i am now but uh it was yeah it was you're going to college yeah yep. it was that mindset you can't do anything without a college degree still you know that that mindset was i graduated high school in 04 so got to have a college degree to succeed in life. Yeah, that was yeah, back you're when- you going to college. Yeah,
0: you you had, you, back then you had, in my school anyways, it was a tech prep and a college prep yeah. uh, kind of pipeline in high school. And like, if you were on the tech prep, you were like, you were, like, you were like special ed, man. If you were on the tech prep yeah. path. Well, it's funny now because I guarantee you from our generation- all them cats that that went tech prep that yeah. were, looked like scum of the earth—they're probably all millionaires or better yeah. now. Not not all of them, obviously, but they learned a skilled trade. Yeah, and so all, all the, now you know own their own business the co- now. Yeah. probably and, the college yeah. thing is just uh, it, it's 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 take it's it's taken a big hit, I think, since those days when when you and I graduated high school. Yeah, and so you get enrolled and what did you choose to do with
1: that time man so um you know um i'm you know 18 i was one of the older birthdays so i turned 19 i think freshman year in college and i'm in nashville you know away from the parents and i took that same mindset like i don't need to study you know i went through high school oh yeah had a great time c student you can graduate college with c so i'm gonna take that route but i I was interested in exercise, I was always interested, at that time I was really into working out, and I thought, if I can go there, study exercise science, get out, maybe be a personal trainer at a gym, or start my own little personal trainer deal with this degree, Um, that was kind of my goal, but I didn't put a lot of effort into that either, I kind of just enjoyed all the things that come with going to college, and Nashville's a cool town, so it's like to be in college... Oh, yeah, All my friends were going to Alabama or Auburn, you yeah. know, so it was kind of unique to go to somewhere like Nashville, you know, you got the bigger city and all that stuff, so you're not just in a college town, you're in a bigger city. So I just enjoyed the college life and, and went went on the whole, uh, let's try to get some C's in this exercise science degree path.
0: <laughs> and I meant to ask you too, Evan, you, you enrolled in a Christian school, were you raised in a Christian home? Church of Christ. Okay. Church right. of Christ, so baby. You know the gospel? I do know the gospel. Okay. Roger that. We love the gospel around this joint. Baptized at fifteen. Awesome, brother. Awesome. Now, you're moving through college. What do
1: do you graduate? So I did two years up there. Now this is uh, you know, you gotta think, I mean, this school is is really a predominantly Church of Christ, very conservative Christian school. It's small. The class sizes were smaller than my high school. I went to Hoover High School, pretty big high school. And we partied hard in high school. You know, you get up here to this this private Christian college and you're meeting a lot of uh, people that were very sheltered through their high school years, like went to private Christian high schools. Yeah. And transitioned into this. And they're just now starting to kind of party. So I was like the one you know, like, y'all have never smoked weed before? You know, (laughs) like, why haven't you been smoking weed? You know, like, I was the guy partying and doing this and that. So I did two years up there and then got put on probation for, because one of the the clubs, we didn't have frats. We had clubs because it was private school. One of the clubs, one of their parties got busted. So you got caught. So somehow I come up, you know, as the one who's, you know, like, the leading man. I guess so. They come up with my name, you know, oh. and I get called to the dean's office and he makes me ride around in the car with him to identify which house it was that we were partying at. All right. Now, I knew which house it was because he knew, too, but he needed someone to confirm it. And he took us straight there, and we got there. I was like, no, that's not it. I would have remembered if it – because the back – yeah, that that was not it. And then I just took him <laughs> driving around in the car around Cool Springs Mall in Nashville until he finally gave up. So, you know, I was on the probation thing, not motivated to be there. My brother um, graduated at that time. He was always two years ahead of school and me. Graduated from Lipscomb. He was there at Lipscomb, okay. too. And so I just uh my parents were like, "Why don't you come home and go to UAB?" So I moved back to Birmingham and picked up studies at at UAB.
0: Huh. Okay. Now, your brother, so he's your older brother then. Two about about 2 years ahead of you. Two grades, 18 months. 18 months. Yeah, okay. okay. Now, it was he was he did you guys hang out a bunch or was he kind of what is he is he not does he not like to party as hard as you and
1: yeah okay he's an older brother which yeah. i think there's something to that yeah man man of the gospel you know there's something to birth order it's like he just was always driven mentally you know now we had a father who who when we were younger struggled with alcohol and drug addiction uh-huh. who who you know owned owned this business this really successful business got into cocaine addiction Took off to South America for a little while. Just left us one day when we were, I was 15. My brother was 17, about to wow. move to college. And calls us from South America. Like, <laughs> he's got his aunt down there. He's putting his aunt into Eric Clapton's rehab center, which is in, actually, I'm sorry, Antigua. I think that's Central America. Eric Clapton has a rehab center in Antigua. So he takes his aunt down there to put her in rehab. But really, he was putting her in rehab, but also going down there to party. Huh. So he just took off, and you know, long story short, ends up coming back. We get him some help. He goes to a treatment center in Minnesota, gets sober, and has been sober since. Remarried my mom, and all that stuff. Okay, that happened in my high school year. That's
0: a heck of a story of redemption, right there, big in time, and of big itself. time.
1: You know, relationships fully restored now um, with my brother and his family, and I. You know, been years since that happened. I was, I think, sixteen or seventeen whenever he was in rehab. So that went on in high school, which probably contributed to to my lack of motivation Mm -hmm. too in school, you know. But Um, your brother, your brother more took notice of that and learned, learned, learned from it, learned from it, and was made great grades. You know, met his, uh, you know, the girl that he's now married to. Freshman year in college, they dated all four years, got married. He still lives in Nashville. Beautiful family, four kids. Got a nice little farm up there. Very successful. Okay. So we awesome. had the same, you know, environment growing up, but he went one way with it and I went a different way. Yep, yep. Um, so you moved back to
0: Birmingham. You picked back up with, with school there. Right. And is that – how does that
1: go? Does anything change? Do you just – are you just – You know, I'm back I'm back in Birmingham now. I've had a little bit of life experience having gone to college in Nashville, and a friend of mine opens a gym in Hoover – and uh you know that's what i was wanting to do the whole time was personal train and and be in the gym environment and he offers me i then learned that you can get certified to personal train you don't have to have you know college degree obviously is nice and helps but you can also do the same thing pretty much with a with a sort cert- of online certification yeah and you know find a gym to get plugged into and i had those things so I ended up just stopping school. I did about ninety-eight credit hours, and then was working so much already as a trainer in the fitness industry and making thirty, forty grand a year as as a twenty-one year old. So I was like, I'm just going to pursue this for now. Mm-hmm. So quit school. <clears throat> okay. Start working as a personal trainer. Yep, working so, personal training.
0: Uh, I want to. I want to make note. Um, the tech guy is the only person in this room with a formal college degree. Good yeah. job, tech guy. That's true. He's the only one. See, wow. Uh,
3: see, um, and he's about to be the only one like, without a job. You know, it, it was, isn't that funny how that works, right there? That's a great point, <laughs> Chili. It, it was. <laughs>
1: And he can't answer the phone. Still can't answer the phone. Call <laughs> Jerry, he can't pick up the phone. Hey, I can kill a turkey,
0: though. Man. <laughs> it, it was great to hear uh, just a little bit about, you know, just in a nutshell, the the difference between you and your brother. Because, um, w- you know, Blake and I both, uh, we went separate ways, man. But he, he's the younger one, and he he went more along the lines of, yeah. You know, he's got children, he's got a solid marriage, he's always been full of just good wisdom and and he's just been a solid rock. Yeah. Um for, you know, an example for me, even even when um when I wasn't paying attention, he wasn't being an example for the sake of being an example. It was just the, he he chose yeah. a better path than I did. Um, So it was kind of reversed on our ends. So, yeah, that's cool. That's pretty awesome. That's interesting. Um, And so you're doing this personal training, man, and obviously you don't do it forever. So what, what, how long does that go on? Are you enjoying it? And what ultimately, what ultimately makes you decide to go a different
1: direction? So um, I am. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love it. I'm in really good shape. I'm working out. I, you know, I'm I'm successful at it. I'm I'm good with interacting with people, which is a big part of the job. So that was going well. the The part that was not helping out was my uh, extreme addiction to oxycotton at this point. No kidding, man. <laughs> yeah, I got huh. uh, started messing around with some guys and got hooked on opiates and was so I would be like. The guy that's like you know personal training clients, and then like snorting oxy in the car in the parking lot, and come back in and you know personal training clients. So I started to struggle with drug addiction myself. Wow, man!
0: Wow, um, I understand addiction from a from a um, the perspective of somebody watching it. My wife's in recovery. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, seeing something about that with, with Brooke. Yeah, and so I've seen how how brutal it it is, and and, and what what it can, uh, well, the chaos that it can cause in in a in someone's life, and ultimately, if you don't if you don't stop, it's gonna it's gonna get you, it's gonna take you out. It's one yeah. of the most powerful force I've ever seen on Earth. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's demonic, is, is how I like to. Yeah, talk to me about that. So yeah. talk talk to me about about. Uh, obviously, that's putting a. You can't be addicted to <laughs> opiates, and and like it will eventually get to the point where you can't lead a, a normal life and main, You you see. Now, now, not to say that alcoholism is any better because right. alcohol is a terrible drug, but you you see some of these alcoholics that are able to kind of function in life, mm-hmm. but be an alcoholic with with opiates. At least in my experience and, and what I've been through, it just what it gets to the point where it's yeah. like nah, yeah, you know. So talk to me about that, man. You said that's the, that's a demonic thing. I've always thought. The same thing looking from an outside perspective, yeah. but you being in it,
1: I mean, what makes you make that statement? Because that's a bold statement. Yeah, it is, and uh, I mean, it's taken me through it, you know. When I was doing it then, um, it really kind of was more of a... I can remember um, the, the moment I found out that my dad was doing what he was doing. Because as, as a Church of Christ family... You know, you don't have alcohol in the home. Yeah. You don't cuss. You're not even allowed to have music in the worship service, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, it was very conservative, but but that was almost worse in a way because, you know, everybody's struggling with something no matter where you go. And in that environment, it was more like you just hid it and didn't uh, talk about it. So when I found out about it and then found out that he was doing cocaine of all of them, you know, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So everything y'all been telling me my whole Mm. life's a lie? So Mm. I was the type that my brother went one way with that. I remember still to this day that switch in my mind that was like, I am going to do whatever I want to do now. And I've got an excuse to do that. You know, I was mad. Yeah. So when I get to this age where I run into somebody who's like, hey, have you ever done this before? And it's a friend from high school or whatever. And you're back in town and you're, you know, 21 now and all that stuff and you try, you know, I was at a point where yeah, I'll try it. Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did it and, and um, then I think there's also something to it where some people are more susceptible to be hooked on it, you know. Um, and as soon as I did it I remember, I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. This feels great. Wow. wow. You know, that's how powerful it is. Yeah. So fortunately, at that time trying it um, and it's changed, you know, when I was younger, you know, the, the opiates are, are, they keep getting different. You know, you hear about fentanyl now, which kills people all the time. Yeah. Um, but, but then it was just these, these OCs or Oxycontin, which has kind of been restricted now in the, in the pharmaceutical world, which is great. Yeah. But it just leads to people using street drugs too. So, you know, I I started down that, but fortunately was able to admit that I needed help pretty quick. Really? Told my parents, you know, had had a relationship at least good enough with my dad at this point where I felt comfortable to say, hey, I got to get some help, you know. And they sent me to a a rehab in Alabama that, that was 30 days long. So I went at about 21, almost 22 at this point to rehab for 30 days. Well, so what pushed you over the edge to the point
0: that you had made the decision, man, this is good stuff. I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. What pushed you over the edge to actually recognizing and then admitting that you needed help because that's a big step. Yeah. Like what was there? Was there an event? Was there a a moment or like what, what, what
1: enabled you to, to do that? so the 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 thought of like i'm gonna do this every day for the rest of my life was short-lived because i was health conscious then i was someone who was in pretty good shape i was too young at the time to understand how much damage i was doing to my body with that but also the physical addiction side i knew nothing about it so it was like i would try to stop and physically couldn't okay you know now i'm sick i'm spending money on it um i'm using against my will which is a big thing. Like, I don't want to do this, but I can't not do this. I didn't like that feeling. So, and and also I think, so fortunately I was, it didn't take me down through it too bad that first time to where I was like, I just called my dad and said, hey, I I can't stop doing this. How did he respond? Especially after going through very good having his past. Immediately, like I remember making that phone call and then an hour or two later we're basically on the way to rehab (laughs) okay it was a fast process i was still on my parents insurance you know so that helps big time and you can get into a place pretty quick that way
0: so you get a 30-day stint in rehab yeah inpatient
1: yeah okay which is pretty cool because at first i was mad it was supposed to be two weeks And once you sober up, you're like, ah, screw this. (laughs) I don't need this place, you know? What was I thinking? It wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, all this bull crap starts coming to your mind. But what was cool, and I look back now thinking about it, um, because my insurance would cover 30 days, they moved me up to the 30-day program, Mm -hmm. right? Which at the time Mm -hmm. at this particular rehab meant that I went to the house where the military people were. So this particular rehab would take military active duty military um that either you know self-admitted and in in, in active duty like hey i'm struggling with addiction they would get sent to a 30-day program while they're in active duty and it just so happened that the 30-day program for the civilians was the same as the military okay so i was put into this environment with a bunch of active duty military guys yeah
0: huh yeah So did you, did you, obviously you're, you're in an intimate environment and and going through this recovery process with them. Uh, Is that what kind of initially sparked your interest in
1: the military was being around those guys in rehab or. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always had a little bit of interest in it. You know, both my grandparents served my, my grandfathers on both sides served. Of course that was at a different time too, where. For some, you know they had the draft as mm-hmm. well you know then so they didn't always have an option um, so but it wasn't like my family's just you know all of them serve so I'm gonna serve kind of thing but I had some friends that went out of high school one went to the Marine Corps and all this kind of and I've I always thought that was interesting but what really did you know really motivate me was being with those guys in there and then hearing them talk about it and then me expressing interest in it and them kind of giving me some advice on it so I actually left That rehab wanting to join the military no kidding man yeah so you so you sobered
0: up obviously during that that 30 days yeah uh you get out what do you do when you get out and you're sober
1: so i uh i kind of worked the personal training thing i think a little bit but very soon after i started going to recruiters and talking about joining the military okay Yeah. How did that go?
0: You know, I didn't...
1: Who'd you go go talk to first? Went to the Marine Corps first. I did too. Yeah. I wanted to be a Marine. Every young
0: man in the Southeast, when he decides he wants to join the military... Marine Corps. The first thing he goes (laughs) to is the Marine Corps. Absolutely. Now, that's interesting because the Marine Corps is very picky. Right. I didn't know that. Okay. And I, I imagine... Your stint in rehab, yeah. That you that you had. You probably told them about that, huh? Or, no, or, I did, no, I did. I did it okay.
1: because I was advised. I forgot who it was because I asked about that too, um, because it was private insurance and and all those things. And then my medical record, you know, it was. I. I it's like they wouldn't have known about it unless I told them. Yeah, is what the advice that I was given. Yeah. So I just left that issue out. Okay. But because I had some tattoos that were below PT shirt length and, um, you know, they had to take pictures of me in a PT uniform and then I had to get people to write references. And then actually, I think it was the Marine recruiter that told me to not talk about rehab. I think I did (laughs) tell him and he was like, we're we're not concerned about that. (laughs) He actually told me that once you get in. You know, you can do whatever you want. That's what he said. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like that was part of his selling point. Like, I wanted to remain a drug addict. <laughs> you know, Like, well, don't worry. Once you get in, you can go right back to doing that. <laughs> Holy <laughs>
0: like, smokes. Man. You
1: know, it wasn't that casual, but it was, you know, they didn't care about that. So they were going to have me get three references written, which I did. I got all that done. I could have gotten in. And then I found out it was like a nine-month waiting period to go to boot camp. And I was the type, I went in literally thinking like, I go in, you know, they're honored that I'm walking in to voluntarily join the military. Here I am, you know, military. (laughs) You're welcome. You know, I want to sign my paper and leave on a bus tomorrow. That's my mindset. That was mine, too. That's what I thought was going to (laughs) happen. So when I found out it was nine months, I was like, well, I don't even know if I want to be in the military in nine months. (laughs) You know, I need to leave now before I change my mind. So I went to the Air Force. I knew I wanted to have a combat MOS. I didn't know much about the military, but I was always that guy. I was like, if I go in, I'm in. I'm going into combat. You know, that's me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing. I'm not going to be no cook. I'm going into combat. And so I went to the Air Force and, and talked about their para rescue program. And then right, it was like <clears throat> the Marine Corps recruiting office was the only place that was separate. You know, I I went to when I drove to do go look at the Air Force. It was like. Air Force, Army was next door. Navy was next door. So yep. I just jumped right into the Army office and started asking about joining the infantry. <coughs> and uh, you know, took took the test, the ASVAB, and all that with them. Found out it would be about three three months after signing that I would leave and uh, join the infantry in Army. <coughs> wow, man, yeah, right out of
0: coming right out of rehab <coughs> <Yeah>. like that, <coughs> straight yeah. into the to the Army. Yeah. That's a that's a big transition, man. Right? Yeah. Holy smokes! So yeah, that must have been an impactful time, spending time with those active duty guys. Oh, in for rehab. sure. Yeah. 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 That's huge, man. Um, so the army decides they'll take you. Right. You ship out. Yeah. What was arm What was army boot camp like for you? I don't know anything about army boot camp.
1: It was cause, So we call it basic training. So there is the difference there, oh, you know. Dang, man. Yeah, don't even call it, we don't even call it boot camp. Well, in Navy boot and, camp you mainly <laughs> learn how to fold clothes, march,
0: yeah, and uh sew, and <laughs> yeah. st- that's Navy boot camp.
1: Fold your sheets. Yeah. Yeah. So the army infantry is a little bit different where most um emo- like every other MOS, I think I could be wrong on this, but it's like 8 weeks of basic and then you go to your MOS yep. detail, which can be a few months, you know, um, infantry is 14 weeks straight. So you go to Fort Benning, Georgia and you do 14 weeks and then okay. you come out an infantryman. Um, <clears throat> and there is kind of a transitional period from basic to infantry training, but it's there's really not. I think you get a weekend pass and then you come back and you go right in an infantry training. Um, and and so what they're teaching you is different, but you're pretty much doing 14 weeks straight. And it was it was I, I thrive in that environment. You know the, you? The, the yelling in my face. You know I expected that the you know being belittled and cussed. You know all that stuff I knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the drill sergeants even liked me. You know I was in I was in good shape. I was the third highest PT score uh, in our in our basic company at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a PT stud. And you're not stupid you know they're gonna like you and you yeah. don't back talk and you're you know because you see some people that just like, why would you say that to the? You know what's gonna happen, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why would you ask that question? Like when they say, "Does anyone have any questions?" Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know? yeah. You moron. You know. So it was just simple things like that. I mean, and of course you're in there with guys that are also 18 and never, you know, been anywhere except their mama's house. And yeah. so it was a, you know, I I did fine in there and actually did well enough to where. You know, they had this 18 X-Ray program which is basically an opportunity to go to Sopsy, which is Special Operations Preparation and Conditioning, and if you pass that, you can go to selection for special forces. So it was kind of like you could join the military with this 18 X-Ray contract, which meant that, you know, you go infantry or whatever your MOS is, then you're going to go to airborne school, <laughs> then you'll go to Sopsy if you pass airborne school, then you'll go to selection if you pass Sopsy. So it was kind of like yep. a As long as you pass those things, a guaranteed shot at going to selection right off the bat. Gotcha. Which was cool. Um, And so several guys, after being in infantry training for 14 weeks, they dropped their 18 x-ray option. They are like, I don't want to do this anymore. So there were three contracts available, and they offered them to the three highest PT scores. And I was the third highest PT score. And I really wanted airborne school, you know. So I took it and and got the 18 x-ray contract while I was in basic. Okay. So that meant as soon as I graduated uh, infantry, I got, you know, said hey to my parents for a few minutes, went to the other side of Fort Benning where they have airborne school.
0: Dude, I heard that. And went to airborne school. (laughs) I heard that school is freaking miserable, dude.
1: Fort Benning,
0: static line, airborne school. I've heard so many horror stories about. Did you not get
1: to go to airborne school? No.
0: So when I joined the Navy, I joined the Navy on a SEAL contract. And so, by time I made it through boot camp, buds, we took our jump school in SEAL qualification training. Okay. By this time, the Navy had developed their own, uh, their own jump school, so it Mm -hmm. was all in house. So we learned static line, and this was all taught by civilians. Static line, free fall, halo, hey-ho, the whole nine yards within like – I don't know. Jump school was like maybe a month long, but that's cool. Yeah, it was just uh, it. It was really knock them all out. It yeah. was really chill, <laughs> man, at a civilian drop zone just yeah. outside of San Diego. Yeah, and you know all that cushy prima donna Navy SEAL crap. I mean, how could you expect? But they used to send SEALs to Fort Benning, right? And I have heard about that school. Like you're up at. Three hours before sunrise, you're yeah, jocking yeah. up with Company your runs, stat, yeah. and you get your static line shoot on. Then you got to go sitting on a bus somewhere or, or on a DZ for hours, all yeah. jocked up before, and then doing just I've heard hundreds of reps of PLF and all oh, this. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I I mean, did you, did you enjoy you wanted to go to jump school once you got there? Yeah. Did you actually enjoy the experience or was it frustrating?
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so I was so green in the military yeah. then too. I had no time in a unit, no time in a regular, you know, I was just right out of infantry school, you know, training, training, training. So know, that's all you knew. That's yeah. all I knew. And so it really wasn't that bad that way, but, but you would get guys like Marine recon guys that were having to go to airborne school. Some SEALs probably were in our class too at that time. Uh, Air Force, whatever, you get a few of them that are higher ranking and all that stuff that hated it. Because, I mean, all of all the things you said, I mean, like every time you left the company area and came into the company area, you had to do seven dead hang pull ups and like airborne at the end, you know, (laughs) and then standing child like Marines were getting in trouble for their hands in their pockets kind of stuff. And they hated that because in the Army, you can't even standing still, can't have your hands in your pockets. You know, so it was just it was very bathed in tradition it was Uh which was cool you know but it was you know airborne school since when they started airborne school you know you do the company runs to cadence and yeah of course the long waits with the jump stuff the the thing that was challenging which i was fortunate enough to to skip because it rained that day was tower week which Tower Week is terrible because of how many injuries occur. Like, they don't even have it anymore from my understanding, but it was this tower that, like, had a little field around it, you know, but parking lot everywhere else. And, like, it was 250 feet tall. They would bring you up and then release you in an open canopy already, Mm -hmm. and you're just practicing from 250 feet down, Mm -hmm. and you would land, you know. But guys would, uh, and they do do this demonstration where they bring a dummy up and they show you like, you have this amount of time to pull your reserve. And here's what happens if you don't pull your reserve. And the dummy just smacks the ground, you know, but people were floating into the parking lot, you know, because the wind would carry them because there wasn't a lot of room and breaking legs. Oh, yeah. So they, fortunately it rained during our scheduled tower week. So we got to skip tower week. And uh, But now, like I said, I think they don't even have it anymore.
0: <laughs> well, a, a lot of people don't understand the difference between – a lot of people, all they want to think about is like the free fall stuff and they think – because that's the sexy thing, right? Yeah. But the static line jumping is actually infinitely more dangerous than free fall. Right. Um, one, because you're jumping out of a plane with a static line shoot. At a low altitude, always. I mean, what, a 1,000 feet?
1: Yeah, 1,200 Yeah, 1,200 feet.
0: You're jumping out. And you've got this, you've got a cable that's coming off of your chute that's on your back that's attached to a, a cable in the actual aircraft. And as you run out of the back of the aircraft, that cable stops and basically deploys your parachute, which is a big round chute that you then have no control over. Yeah. You, you can't really steer it. You can't flare it, meaning that it's falling at the rate it's going to fall. Yeah. And the gra- as the ground comes, you can't slow it down. Like you can flare a free fall shoe and actually have a nice soft landing. Right this this static line shoot you're just dropping like a sack of potatoes man yeah and you have to land a certain way it's called a parachute landing fall right feet and knees together you yeah. land and roll if you keyword fall it's a it's a controlled, <laughs> it's a fall. controlled fall if you don't yeah. do that it's you're going to break your legs yeah. it's that bad yes and another thing about static line the reserve chute is right here on on your front right yeah so a free fall parachute if you jump out uh, with free fall at 12,000 feet, you deploy your main chute at 5,000 feet. It's a bad chute. You're still, you got, you're a long ways from the ground. All you have to do is pull a little red tab. That main chute breaks away and it automatically deploys your reserve chute. Yeah. They're connected together. In static line, if you come out of this aircraft and your daggone main chute is fouled, you all know what you have to do. You have to open up this big. It looks like a, a a fanny pack on steroids. Yeah. You have to open up this big old thing on your front, and you have to start throwing your <laughs> your reserve chute out and hope that you're falling fast enough that it catches some wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it to actually inflate and stop you. Yeah. Right. And you've got twenty seconds to do this before you hit the dang ground yeah yeah. so it's a brutal brutal evolution man yeah for sure um i i do want to i do want to talk through your military career because when i first started following you evan i knew immediately the first time i saw you yeah that you were or had been in the military yeah I, i could just your tattoos yeah the way you carry yourself I was like, "Yep, this that, without looking at, at any of your past posts." The first video, I, I said, "This dude was a, he was he was in the military in some capacity." Yeah, and um, it's something that you have, I think, not completely shied away from, but it's not a part. It's not a part of a lot of your content, right. wh- which is makes you really unique. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of creators, a lot of influencers are going to lean real, real heavily on that. Yeah. And you haven't done that. You, right. You know, it's not, you don't hide it, but it's not front and center. And I don't think, I think a lot of people that see your stuff, unless they were somebody like me, they would have no clue that, yeah. that you served in the military and you are actually a Purple Heart recipient. Yeah. Um, Which is a huge, I mean, what I mean, that's unbelievable, dude. I mean, I don't have a purple heart. Uh, I mean, thank goodness, but you've obviously went through, um, some difficulties, some challenging times there. And, uh, I want to talk through your, your military career and just, um, what you got out of it, what happened, um, what, you know, why you decided to ultimately get out and, and all that good stuff. But I guess to start with, what year did you what year was this that you joined? 2010. 2010. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And you make it through Airborne school and then do you proceed to go through with the the
1: special forces selection course or Yeah, yeah. So and and I'm glad you phrased it the way you did because I I do like my my, my social media stuff it isn't military, you know, like you'd have to realize or someone who was in the military. That's, I get the most from like guys that were in there, like you were in the military, weren't you? Yep. Because I, d- I didn't want to go down that, that niche and just be, you know, military audience owner. I want to, I want to, you know, share my stuff with everybody. Yes. So I get a big military following. And I think it's more successful because I don't just put it out there, you know, not knocking guys that do or whatever, but that just, I knew I wasn't just going to go down that road, you know, I felt like I had more to share than just that. Um, You've handled
0: handled it masterfully
1: in my opinion. Well, I appreciate that because it is, it it was part of the strategy going into it. Yeah. Um, But so anyways, to get back on track. uh, Yeah. So I'd I'd graduate airborne school and uh, go up to Fort Bragg for SOPSI. It's summertime and they are in a holdover. They're not doing so, sopsy or selection at Camp McCall during the hottest months because of heat casualties at the time were real bad and high. So you're in holdover until basically late August, I think, which, you know, it's still really hot, you know, in North Carolina at this oh, yeah. point, uh, even into September there. Um, so... Yeah, I go through the holdover process in SOPSI, which was a couple months. Um, That was the first time I got to actually go on leave and go back home. It had been a little while after joining since I'd done that. And then uh, get called up to go to SOPSI, which is basically 21 days of a pre-selection out at Camp McCall. It's kind of like selection, but they're teaching you more stuff. You still have to pass events, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, 18 roughly 18 mile ruck march they don't tell you the distance or the time that you have to complete it kind of deal but we figured it was about 18 to 20 miles the, the last ruck that you do you do a lot of land nav they actually have classes with land nav um, they make you watch the movie green beret with uh john wayne
0: no kidding, for some man. reason, huh. which
1: was funny because John Wayne does everything wrong in that movie. Like he's got his <laughs> rifle slung upside down over his shock, you know, over his shoulder. And he like he's flagging it, like all his team members, the whole movie, like pointing his rifle, using his rifle as a pointing. point. Wow. I it would was, not expect that. Man. It was just, I think, a comedic thing that they do. Um so there's some classes and stuff. You know, it's not easy. You're out there living at Camp McCall, which is the, the also known as Tent City. You know, so all the a lot of the Special Forces training happens out there. Um, past that. And then I came back, and I was supposed to have, like, three to four weeks before going to selection, you know, which would have been great because I could have recovered, rested, maybe gone back home one more time, you know but some guys got dropped from the time we were gone for like leaving without permission and just different stupid stuff. And so it bumped my name up in the order. So I had to turn around and go back out to camp McCall like a week later for selection. And I was broken off, dude. I mean, you have to go get all this stuff sewn on all your uniforms, repack all your stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Not making excuses, but I went back out there just with the worst mindset, you know. I mean, it was like this was the test now that you've got to pass just to get into the Q course. Um, And I wanted more time to be ready for it. So I go out there and fail the last ruck by like five-something minutes and uh, get dropped from the course. But it was a a non-voluntary withdrawal, meaning I didn't quit. Yeah. which meant I could I could try as many times as I want to. Um, but in the process, I came up on orders for a LERS unit, which is long-range surveillance. And um, everybody that I was talking to there, even some of the cadre in that program, were like, you need to take this opportunity. Really? So there were three LERS units in the time at the military, and they were basically created to be reconnaissance units. Um, and there were only three of them. And so they were stacking them up at the time and, and uh, deploying a lot. So I got orders to go to to, to uh, 238 CAV, which they're attached to a military intelligence brigade, but you're like the forward eyes for this military intelligence thing. So you had to be infantry. You had to be airborne qualified. You had to commit to going to ranger school because they were big into the ranger indoctrination. Um, I think maybe at one time LURS units were originally attached to Ranger Regiment, but it was like, you couldn't promote unless you were Ranger qualified there. Okay. Um, It's a pretty specialized unit. Pretty specialized unit, about 65 guys. Wow. we were the only uh, airborne people in Fort Hood. They'd never even seen airborne people before. Like we were on West Fort Hood, so off the main post. Um, And it was actually a really cool opportunity, and I was glad that I took it. Um, Of course, when we get there, we find out that three months later, we're deploying. You know, like three that's months. why they needed people wow, man. was to go deploy. So pretty, pretty quick turnaround before I was going to Afghanistan. Man, so you get
0: you get over to this new unit, this LARS unit in Fort Hood. Do you guys, do you guys have that three month time span? What are you guys doing? Are you guys training?
1: Are you getting ready? Do you know what the mission is? Um. Well, it's uh, and it may have been a few maybe a little bit longer than three months. It wasn't much longer than that, though, and it wasn't long before. So when I get there, they're actually staffing up a personnel security detachment for the SCO, for the Senior Commanding Officers Team, and they interview me and choose me to be, like, I'm in the LURS unit, but I'm also going to be on this personnel security detachment for the colonel when we go. Yep. Um, and so we're doing some training around that and uh gearing up to deploy and then we go to uh Louisiana for our little pre-deployment training which lasted you know 3 weeks or something and then we come back we go on R&R and then we deploy and i think it was maybe february time frame when we deployed and then of course or may, no i'm sorry it was it was april or may and this is 2011 and Osama bin Laden was was killed like May second or third, 2011, mm-hmm. in Islamabad, Pakistan. Right. Yep. So we deployed a spin bulldog Afghanistan in that same month. He was just killed, and we were stationed about 225 miles from Islamabad, Pakistan. So we we're on the southern border of of Afghanistan and Pakistan. You know, of Afghanistan right into Pakistan. Uh-huh. So it was kind of a unique time to be over there. Yeah. Things sort of heated up as soon I as we bet. got over there.
0: I bet, big man. time. It's amazing to me too. You're talking about this is now 2011. You joined the army in 2010. Yeah. So you're less than a year right. into your career, Yeah. and you're getting ready to deploy to a combat zone. Yeah. In a in a really volatile time. Right. And you've got a year under your belt. It's insane, man, that, you know, that's why I have the, the, up. we see so much in on social media and we hear so much from the about and from the special forces community, um, you know, in the public these days. All right. Now, yes, there, there are Great things that have been done by special operations units uh, over the last twenty years. You know some high-profile missions and this and that. What you don't hear about is the guys who are serving in are in the army, the infantry guys, the guys that are parts of these specialized units within, but within the conventional army that have. Six months or a year of active duty time and, and training, and they're going downrange on a usually a year-long deployment to a combat zone. And you know, I've got a buddy, I got a good friend. His name's Tyler, and uh, he's he's in a conventional army unit. And this dude has probably got—I would say—he has more combat experience than any special operations operator that I personally know. Yeah. Because he he's the the army just dude they just send guys and they keep sending them and they keep sending them and Tyler's had had to do these back to back deployments through his entire career that are a year you know plus long and and these guys are learning how to fight like on deployment because yeah. they got a they got less than a year of training right. under their belt yeah. whereas me I didn't deploy for the first time. Until I had three years, three years of service yeah. because the training pipeline is so long you got so much training, time to mature, time to, to really hammer things out. so yeah it's just unbelievable to hear that you're deploying over there with a, you know a year after after you've enlisted in the army. Right. Um, I want you to just talk me through what that deployment was like, man. Because, uh, I mean, what was it like showing up to Afghanistan? Like what, when you got boots on the ground, were you like, holy crap, this is for real? Or were you really relaxed? Did you feel prepared?
1: What was that like for you? You know, I think about that often, especially as I get older, um, because, you know, you're surrounded with, really good leadership, you're surrounded with guys that have been there and done that, that are kind of talking you through it, helping you know what to expect, even though, you know, you're never going to know what to expect until you're there doing it. But but you, f- at least I did. I felt more comfortable being around that leadership and, a- and around such a good unit, you know, of guys that, you know, yeah, you're going into it. I mean, I was handed, you know, <laughs> I was made, made one of the long-range marksmen as we were getting ready to leave and get handed this m14 you know rifle with a you know 20 inch barrel it was really cool i mean we were cleaning the packing grease off of it you know 20 round mag 7.62 by 59 uh 20 you know 20 inch barrel 10 power leopold scope i've never shot it before wow <laughs> okay um, i've never shot anything like that before in the military you know um, we were trying to zero in these 10-power Leopold scopes on this terrible range in Kandahar, Afghanistan, when we got there, you know? Um, so, it was just a lot of new things being thrown at you. And, of course, you land into Kandahar, which is huge at this point. I mean, there's all these militaries from around the world there. There's like a... a boardwalk area that's got all these shops and all this stuff and it was just a mass place where people would come into country and i guess some people were stationed there and and stayed there for kandahar support but then we would push out to our fob and spin bulldog from that place Mm -hmm. so when you get in there there's kind of some stuff you're doing um to get ready to go to your fob you're waiting a little while Um, and you would get mortar rounds coming in every now and then over there and people would you know, get killed from the mortar rounds, but just not that often. It just wasn't... I remember getting so comfortable in that environment where it's like you hear the sirens go off and you're like, you want to go to the bunker? Nah, let's not go to the bunker. You know, yeah. kind of kind of deal. So we finally get and push out to our FOB and, and where we were going to be, you know, the majority of the time. And it was about 70 kilometers from Kandahar in a ground convoy south. Um, and I remember... The unit we were replacing picked us up. Their PSD picked us up, so I was on a six-man team with the PSD, which mm-hmm. was cool. because um, you know we, we got uh, we got to do a lot of stuff, and we were always like first to have the information, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was cool because you're going with the senior commanding officer places. Um, who was a he was a lieutenant colonel. So since we were a, um, cav regiment. You know, he had a colonel that he answered to, but we answered to the lieutenant colonel. So, and he was cool. You know, Ranger guy, uh, wanted to be at every mission, every firefight, everything. You know, he wanted to be there kind of guy. So, a solid dude, then. Solid dude. Awesome, man. Yeah, it was cool. Sergeant Major was good. Um, and so, we're driving with the PSD that we're replacing, and they're telling stories of hitting IEDs, you know. And I remember hearing that thinking, God. They hit an IED? You know, of course, we're in Afghanistan, and they're all over the place. But it just became real at that moment that, like, people are going to die here. Um, People are getting injured. We're at war. Like, especially in that drive, it was like, okay, we're in a place where we're at war with some of these people here. Yeah. Yeah, they want to do harm to you. Right. Yeah. And that became real kind of on that drive into Spin Bulldog. Man. Once you get once you get out to the fob,
0: what's that like? Moving from that kind of controlled environment in Kandahar to now getting out to your your ultimate objective, where you're going to be operating out of, what's that? What's that fob like? What's it set up like? And and then ultimately,
1: what is the mission? What do you guys start working? You know, it was really cool. It was it was small, but not too small. Um, we had a little. It was of course tents for everything, basically, but some of them were larger structure type tents like the chow hall and that kind of stuff. So there was a place to drop your laundry. They had some decent internet service on there, but it just wasn't huge. Um, so we, um, when we get there, you know, it's funny because I think about it now, like it seems like most of the attacks and most of the, the stuff that would happen happens in the transitional periods. Mm-hmm. So a units going out and a units coming in and they're going to test us. Yep and they're going to kind of claim their stake as, you know, this is who we're fighting, and this is, you know. And so they just saw it as a good opportunity to attack. Um, So pretty quickly within us getting there, there was a lot of combat. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: Someone ran a a vehicle-borne IED into a gas station right outside our fob and blew the gas station up and attacked a bunch of locals. And they were bringing the the locals were flooding to our fob for help because they don't have any medical services. And so that was the first time I had to deal with dead bodies, you know, yeah, dead bodies that were charred up so bad that you couldn't identify them. Like I remember having to guard bodies to keep the locals from taking the bodies um, so we could find out if they were American or not, mm-hmm. you know? So that happened like a month into being in spin bulldog And then it wasn't long after that when we get a call that we've got a KIA. So now one of our units, one of our guys, has been killed in action. Operating out of that same FOB? Yeah. Okay. In our LERS unit. Wow. Okay. So I'm on the, um, you know, the SCO wants to go, right? It's our first KIA. Um, And I remember hearing that and thinking for a second, what do they mean KIA? And then one of my buddies came up and was like, that's somebody killed in action. You know, mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, here we go. You know, we're getting into it now. So we jump in our little three man convoy and, and I'm the gunner of the lead truck. Um, the unit that we were replacing was still there. That's how new this happened. Wow, you know, they man. were still there getting ready to leave. And one of the guys who was like the platoon sergeant from the other PSD came and he was like, I'll drive for you guys because I know exactly where this is at. So he swaps out with my buddy who was supposed to drive, all right. And this dude was bad to the bone. I mean, like, deployed with Ranger Regiment, was in Ranger Regiment most of his time, and then was with this Lurs unit at Fort Bragg. And I mean, he was just—he's been in combat multiple times. He was—he was awesome. So he's driving us, and we go out there to to provide security and help for this KIA, you know, because usually you're thinking they hit an IED. Now where's the ambush, you know? So we yeah. come to provide some security. And we're crossing up over a wadi about, and I remember he was driving super fast. And like I said, we had a mine roller attached to the front of the truck, which is, you know, digging through the sand to try to prevent IEDs from blowing up up under our truck. At least it would hit the mine roller and blow up in front of us. So, and I'm on a stand-up turret on a gun and I'm short. So I'm standing on these ammo cans and I'm hanging on for dear life up there, you know, yeah. bouncing around and this dude's flying. And we go to cross this wadi, and then... Boom. All I remember was chemical burn, um, unconscious for a second, waking up, trying to figure out what's going on. There's smoke all in the cab of the thing. The mine roller's been blown off the front of our truck, and the platoon sergeant in the TCC is saying, contact IED, contact IED. So we just hit an IED, right? The driver starts backing the truck up, and as he's backing the truck up, he loses consciousness. And goes out. That was, come to find out, his second time to hit an IED in country. Mm. And he had just swapped out seats with my friend who was supposed to be driving. So I look down, and I'm thinking, am I okay, you know? And then uh, my left leg, I could barely stand on it at the time. And we get medevacked back to, to base. Um, and when I get there, they they fly off the guy who was driving. I still don't know what happened with him. I mean, I know he was alive, but... I think he had some pretty bad TBI from that. Yeah. And then uh, come to find out I had dislocated a tendon in my ankle and was banged up, but was roughly okay. You know, I couldn't really stand or walk at the time. But um, after, after the smoke cleared, you know, I find out my ankle's jacked up. They want me to go to Germany to have surgery on it, or that's an option. And I turn it down to stay in country because I wanted to stay the full deployment and talked with the medical staff and they said, you know, that is an option. You can let your ankle heal how it is. And, and a lot of times that's better than having the surgery because the surgery can be pretty sketchy. So yeah, we hit an IED and I'm, I'm three months in the country at this point. <clears throat> Man. And, and how long did this deployment last? We were the last 12 month deployment before the nine month deployment rotation started. Holy so the switch. unit replacing us was a nine month deployment, but so, we were 12. So you're
0: three months <laughs> yeah. in. You got. You got. T- you got nine to ten months yeah. left out here. You choose to stay out there. Yeah. And you have. Your, your lead vehicle convoy, your vehicle hits an IED. I just can't imagine like what that, how did, how do you overcome that? Like after going through that, like actually hitting an IED, like realizing that, oh, heck, taking it, not only taking an, an injury, get a concussion plus the injury you had, but then realizing like, wow, my life could be over at a split second and I can't see this coming. Like I can't fight back against this threat. I can't imagine how much stress that puts on you mentally to then have to go out into that environment over and over and over again for 10 months after that happens. I mean, how did you keep go? Like what was driving you to keep going? Uh, because that, that, that's gotta be,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I've never experienced that before. So it was, um, you know, I think a lot about that. I was young and, um, I was, I was real, you know, strong-headed, I think. I was, like I said, in really good shape physically. I, I was there doing what I wanted to do. Like, when I joined the military, I remember thinking, I want to deploy. Like, yeah. I want to go to combat. I want to do these, you know. And then, of course, you go through some stuff, and you realize, man, how grateful you are. But, um, you know, part of me, a, a lot of times, guys, you hear guys talk about, like, PTSD and stuff, and, I heard someone, I used to think I'd never struggled with anything like that, and then I heard someone define it like, and I don't want to take anything away from the guy that was killed in that incident, his name's Corporal Frank Gross, he's from Florida, 23 years old, played college baseball, you know, commo guy. Um, But I remember thinking almost that sense of, man, I wish that was me dying Mm. for my country. You know, yeah, because you get that sense of, and and people might think that sounds weird or cocky or whatever, but it's not because you almost get. I remember guys on our team wishing that they were closer to the IED that I hit so that they could get a combat infantry badge and get you know the things that come in because you're there to serve your country. You know, like you don't want to die, but at the same time, man, what an honor though, too. You know, when you see guys that that give their life for that Mm -hmm. i mean it is just something that it's it's hard to explain so a lot of that for me was the motivation for like going home was not an option for me that wasn't a choice you know they had to force me to go like i'm staying i'm in this fight i'm gonna do whatever i gotta do to stay you know ask me if i'm okay i'm gonna tell you i'm okay you know and i just i had like a medical boot for a little while and i would drive so I couldn't dismount, um, I couldn't stand up in a turret, I could gun a, gun a crow truck, you know, a common remotely operated weapon station from inside the, you know, truck. Yeah. Um, but I did a lot of driving until my ankle got better. And then by the end of the deployment, I was fine. I was running again, I was, uh, you know, sucking it up. Um, one of the things though that came along with that injury was, well, now I'm back on opiates again
0: oh man come on and uh <laughs> I didn't think about that
1: i started taking painkillers again for a legitimate reason yeah yeah um so whenever i end up leaving country and we go back home uh they put me on pain management and it's right back off to when well, i'm hooked on these opiates again
0: holy smokes man well first of all thank you for describing that uh what a just a, a awesome description and and testimony of a true warrior's mindset like what you just said about you know the way you felt about your teammate that was KIA and the way you talked about hey man you're going to have to you're going to have to run me out of this place to make me leave i'm in it i'm here to serve my country i'm i'm here to do this job that is a true warrior's mindset, man. I mean, that's a testament to the to the the man that you are, Evan. That is a testament. <laughs> Holy smokes, the man that you are to just describe that mindset and where you were at and what you were thinking and how you pushed through that situation. Um what an encouraging what an encouraging account. And uh I love hearing that, man. I love hearing that. Let's take a quick break and we're gonna come back in and I wanna pick back up on what happens on the backside of this deployment, man, because uh yeah. sounds like sounds like we got, a, we got a story to talk <laughs> about there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, man, YouTube's freaking out. I just was looking I don't ever get to see the comments on the that that all you Youtubers make on the, the thing there, and I stepped behind the screen, and somebody was saying, "Y'all should play music if you're going to put us on a live hold." Tell screw, them, tell screw them. you, dude. <laughs> what the crap, man? Get on them, man. Tell them they don't. I whack you upside the head with this pickleball paddle, son. <laughs> they don't tell you how to run your podcast. No, man. This is my this is my podcast,
2: man. That's right. Brooks on there commenting. Oh gosh, I
0: would hate I would hate to be the one that has to watch the comments that come through on there. Said, <laughs>
2: Brooke said you have an overactive grundle. <laughs> I mean, well, we <laughs> no, nah, <got>
0: man,
1: a... <laughs> we got that grundle stretched yeah. out this morning, son. Blood the blood flow is good. <laughs> the blood is flowing, son. <laughs> you can feel it when you've got your grundle nice and exposed. I mean, you can just feel you feel way more flushed. The skin's lighter. I went yeah. I went over there and greased mine during that little intermission. Hey, she greased it up. Yeah. Normalized proper grundle care. Hashtag normalized proper grundle care. <laughs> you know.
0: All right. Well um let's jump back into this, man. Year long deployment. Um Is that where you got your purple heart?
1: Yeah, from, so from it was from that IED incident? incident. Got it overseas and was one of the only battlefield promotions over there which was pretty cool. Wow. Um, So, yeah, I got the combat infantry badge, the Purple Heart, and a battlefield promotion after that. Yeah, which was cool. We get back home. Pain
0: management. Yeah. Does, like, do you immediately, like, what are you thinking? Do you immediately know, all right, this this is going to turn into an issue, or are you kind of denying it? a while or what happens
1: so you you know i think a lot of things played a role there um i remember coming back after that 12-month deployment with you know that's that's a great feeling you're alive um i was in combat you know I, i received a purple heart i came back with this ego almost that was like Dude, I've done it now. What other twenty-four-year-old can say, or twenty-four or twenty-five at this time can say that they've done what I've done at my age? Yeah, you know, not um, many. I had a I had a pretty big ego from that. I felt like a, you know, pretty bad dude, and and so there were a lot of things that started to kind of play a role. Um, driving became difficult. You know, I start realizing like because when you drive over there, you're driving, you know, like aggressively. Like you're in combat. Yeah. So I noticed that. I mean, I got like multiple tickets, so many tickets, uh, traffic tickets that my license was actually suspended. You know, I had a couple speedings in a construction zone. I had, and I just started realizing these things like I'm just displaying this behavior. You know, I'm just, co- which I think is normal to some extent. You know, you go right from combat right back into the civilian world, N- no real transitional period at all. Yeah. Um, so I just had this mindset like I wasn't even thinking I felt justified in what I was doing a lot um, taking the pain meds that were prescribed yeah um, I felt I felt like I should be doing it you know I was injured over there I sh- you know but then it just like anything else you know especially being an opiate addict um, it turned into well now I'm abusing them mm-hmm and why am I abusing them? You know, what's going on that's making me want to abuse them again and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I finished my time in the military. Um, <clears throat> just kind of not really doing much after that. You know, there were some good training opportunities, did a, did uh, some really cool things with the LURS unit. But my ankle was getting worse, and every time we would jump, um, and we jumped a lot, you know, it would just get worse and worse. And I realized that if I was going to, stay in the army i was probably gonna have to reclass and not do something so damaging on my body which i just didn't want to do Mm -hmm. so now i start kind of coming up on the end of my career and i get out of the army and i leave the army to head back to birmingham alabama and i'm hooked on pain pills you know lose you know you don't have tricare insurance anymore as soon as you get out of the military so yeah from the time you go to join the va and do that whole process which takes time um I just came back with a bad, bad pill addiction again. What? what? So I, I,
0: I get what you were saying about your, you know, your ankle was getting worse. You came to the reality that if you were going to stay in, you were going to have to reclass. Um, what played into you making the decision to close close out that chapter of your life? Uh, what, what, what ultimately made you decide to leave the Army?
1: You know, I think I just was, I was really kind of starting just to struggle, like with with life in general, okay. you know, um, I didn't, uh, a part of me thinks too, like I had that mindset, like my time should have been up in that IED incident. Like I'm on borrowed time now, okay. you know, I've, uh, I've, I've skipped death kind of deal and I was living every day like it was my last and I had this mindset that that was okay. You know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Partied real hard, you know, went out to bars a lot, go to the beach, all that, you know, just living this just irresponsible life. And um, I think I was just really uh, struggling, you know, mm-hmm. didn't really have the desire to stay in anymore. Okay.
0: You come out, you you cut ties with the army, you get out and the the addiction aspect is it progressing quickly is it getting out of control at this point or what i mean because what once you get out and you get back to birmingham i mean what what is your plan what 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 do you what do you plan to do at this point you got to do something but you know and is that is that addiction now standing between you and
1: having any plan or what did that look like when you got back home man yeah so so no plan really just go home to mom and dad Mm -hmm. Um, see if I can find some work. Um, and the addiction part was definitely getting worse. You know, I was going to civilian doctors now to get the medication I needed running out of it too quick. Um, just going down that road again. Yeah. I could see it happening fast.
0: Yep. Yep. And how does that, how does that come to a head?
1: So I get into some legal trouble. Um, <clears throat> I have this wonderful idea one day that, uh, so I was actually taking two, I was taking Valium as well, and, and some of that was, <clears throat> I was having trouble sleeping. Um, I don't really blame it all on uh, <clears throat> deployment, or, or but there were definitely some night terrors and just stuff like that. Excuse me, because it wasn't long after I, uh, <clears throat> you know, deployed. Not too much longer that I got out of the military <clears throat> altogether. So, so abrupt.
0: That's another <clears throat> abrupt transmission or uh, transition, then. right? Yeah.
1: So um, <clears throat> I'm on this this volume and taking these painkillers, which is a terrible combination, anyways. And I run out of the volume one day on a Saturday, and I've got this idea, like you know, I could probably just prescribe myself some volume, you know, I've seen it done enough times in doctor's offices that I feel pretty confident about this. You know, they had the DEA number right there on the prescription bottle. Some of them do. So I, I got a DEA number off a prescription bottle and I call the pharmacy, like I'm Joe doctor, you know, yeah, and uh, just try to prescribe myself uh, some volume, which I knew at the time that you could prescribe that level of narcotic class one over the phone. Um, But then they started asking for other numbers that I didn't have, (laughs) that I didn't even know what that meant. So I would hang up with one pharmacy, call another, and turns out that, you know, while this is going on, there's some kind of flag in the system, (laughs) you know, Mm. like, hey, somebody's trying to prescribe themselves some medication. So I get a call back from a pharmacy and they say, hey, mr slaughter we've got your prescription up here and I'm thinking great it worked you know so I go up to this pharmacy and i'm you know I'm in I was in a reconnaissance unit I was so I knew I knew what to look for so I'm like driving around the parking lot like making sure it wasn't you know something else going on here don't see anything walk up to the counter pay for the medication and as soon as I do I'm arrested
3: <clears throat> cop, wow.
1: cop comes up from behind me and grabs me and I start the whole, well, I was in the military, you know, trying whatever I could to get out of it. Um, it turned out to be a blessing in my life because I went to, uh, you know, jail for a little bit in county jail, which sucks. And I was able to sober up and they put me in a veterans court program, which is more about helping you than it is about getting you in more trouble. Mm hmm. So they put me through another rehab, and um, I get out of the Veterans Court program, graduate, sober up, you know, get clean, and, um, you know, started kind of getting back into church. I found a, a church there that some friends were going to and started going to do that, started doing these small groups, started meeting new people that weren't into some of the things that I was into back then, you know, and just kind of, trying to stay sober and survive at this point, you know. Um, was fortunate to have some parents to go back to and kind of started working for my dad again and just getting accustomed to being in normal life and, and you know, doing that without something controlling my mind or my, you know, all those different things. Um, <clears throat> I struggled a little bit from graduating that Veterans Court program staying off of the opiates sometimes i Mm -hmm. would legitimately be hurt again and want to take them so i battled a little bit there um ended up getting married and it cost me a marriage because i couldn't be honest about what i was doing you know and i was trying to get myself it wasn't like i was just this terrible person that was out there you know doing all this stuff and all this crime and doing these drugs. I was holding down jobs, you know, had a good job, good dude, just lying about struggling, getting off these opiates. Yep, yep. You know, Um, and then finally it came to a point where I went to one more treatment center that was a not-for-profit, faith-based deal, and it was three months long. And it was really good because it was more about um, my spiritual health too, mm-hmm. which, which I learned was the problem all along, if I want to put it bluntly. Um, yeah, there's addiction issues. Yeah, there's all these excuses I could make for why I was doing it. But ultimately, it came down with I was spiritually sick, you know. I wasn't looking for the right – I wasn't looking to the right thing for solutions to these problems that everybody struggles with. You know, I was taking and finding ways to avoid dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they taught me that and well, reintroduced me to Christ and all that and, and uh, well, <laughs> had to rededicate my life. Please
0: break that down for for us, Evan, um, because with no doubt there's people watching this right now. What's up, YouTube? There's people watching this right now, probably dozens if not, you know, I don't know, but that who are going through recovery, who, who have been through multiple, um, treatment facilities who are trying and still struggling. They're in the place that you were in there and talk to me about, that's a profound statement. What you just said was ultimately it boiled down to your spiritual health. And what was it that you, what was it that you connected with or what clicked with you um what is it that you needed to hear or what is it that you needed to recognize for you to be able to to realize that was the problem all along and then how did you fix that or or how did you get to a better place yeah. I just want to I just want you to explain that
1: process as you experienced it Yeah um you know it's tough because growing up in church and doing all those things <clears throat> you know looking back like Man, you would think that I would have this relationship with God and all all this different stuff, and that I would have known about my spiritual, you know, elements and all these different things, and being able to identify what it was. The whole, you know, but the truth is, is I was living my life like, like yeah, I believed in God, but I wasn't living my life that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was in the military, <clears throat> I felt like I had purpose. I had a purpose. I knew what my purpose was. It was to serve my country as best I could, you know, be a, be a member of the armed forces. Do, you know, I, I had purpose. And I th- I remember, you know, telling you earlier, I thrived in that environment and I did because I liked having that structure. I liked being told, you know, this is what you need to do in order to succeed. You know, it was, it's cut and dry, step by step. Yep. Do this and you'll get promoted. Wear this on this day. Do You know, <laughs> here's the, I mean, they've got a manual for everything, you know? So I liked that. And then whenever I got out of the military, I didn't have any purpose again. Yep, I felt like I did not have any purpose again. And so it was really coming to know, building a relationship with God and then discovering a purpose in that relationship, Mm. you know, and that's where the whole fit to serve thing came from Mm -hmm. because I believe that we're all fit in some way to serve. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was in the military, I was serving my country. Right. But now that I'm out, what ways am I serving? How can I serve someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into it later, but that's what I try to do with my comedy is serve. Um, you've got people that, you know, you putting on this podcast is a way to serve others. You know, you're providing a platform to push a certain message, right? So you're, you're finding a way to serve. School teachers, man, they serve. Like, I couldn't imagine being a school teacher. Could you imagine mm-hmm. being in, in a third grade classroom right now? No, man. With a bunch of booger eating kids and everybody screaming and yelling and throwing, you know. That ain't for me. <laughs> yeah. But that person who's in that environment that likes that environment and thrives in that environment is serving because that might be their purpose. You know, so I realized that we all have a purpose and discovering that again, it was like, man, once I discovered that and got physically separated, you know, that was the first thing, get physically separated from substances like that that mm-hmm. are clouding your mind and your thoughts and your judgment and make, you know, get physically separated from that for enough time, and then have someone you know feed you life feed you truth you know show you a purpose again um that's what i needed to mm-hmm. hear and go through in order to find a life to where i don't even think about drugs and you know that ain't even an option for me oh, man you know what i mean that it's just not something. Not that I couldn't go back to that, but it's just not something I struggle with anymore. Wow. You know, I I love that you
0: just highlighted that word service. I love that you just highlighted that man because that, like you said, Evan, there are multiple types of service that we can, you know, choose or, or we're we may, maybe we have gifts and talents for in our life. Um, service in the military is one. And, and I think this is something that I've seen here recently, and you highlighting this aspect of service and how important it is and what it actually means to serve— it just brought it up in my mind. We've gotten confused. A lot of us, a lot of people have gotten confused about what service is all about and, and the purpose that it creates in your life. And, and, and so the reason, the, the dynamic that I see here is, especially when we look at military service, when we look at especially what's been going on in social media right now, People have forgotten that this type, the true service like Evan's talking about, it's not about you. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about what you did. Service is about, it benefits you because it gives you purpose, but it, service is about fulfilling a mission that is bigger than you, right? And so, Um, if you notice, when Evan just went through his military career as he described it, this is how I know that Evan understands service and and just serving his his country in that one uh, chapter of his life is, you know, Evan didn't spend a lot of time talking about um all you know how good he was and that and how he didn't make it all about him. He made it about the mission. He talked about serving his country. He talked about the service was what was driving him, right? That's what service is, man. But so often we want to get fired up and we want to defend ourselves, our capabilities, our accomplishments, what we've done, how good we are, what, and we've just totally lost well, what was the reason we were doing all this stuff anyways? It's so easy to shift the focus from service to yourself and then you wind up in a position where you're just constantly trying to defend yourself because your mindset has changed to where everything is now just has your whole life has been about you and what you've been able to do. And maybe you started off on a path of service, but you got it twisted somewhere and now all you can think about is yourself and what you did. And... I'm just telling you, man, that gets twisted in people's mind. And um, when you—you said you rededicated yourself to Christ. What does that—what did that mean? What did
1: that look like? So, you know, for me growing up, um, everything was so structured and so just— More focused, I I feel like a lot of the times, and not knocking Churches of Christ or anything like that, but just the way I perceived it was, it was more about the the church and the you know all this different stuff, the religion behind it, and no music in the you know. And I kind of got away from from that in my journey and found um, that I I identify with different types of services, Um, and so the whole you know I'm very non denominational relationship over religion kind of guy mm-hmm. and I had to find a relationship again with God so for me that that meant you know admitting that Christ is my savior and, and you know my life is yours you know guide me however however you want to um <clears throat> one of the the biggest things that I've started doing since I left that last rehab every day um And I forgot the name of the prayer, but it says, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil so that I may not cause pain. And there's a name to that prayer, and I'll get it to you, okay? Mm -hmm. And I forgot it's named after the person who said it, and there's a book about it, all right? And it's this whole idea that you say that every day and watch what God will do, okay? Okay. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, like that. I've been saying that every day for a while now, mm-hmm. you know, years almost. And it's my social media stuff. Enlarge my territory; it continues to grow. So my purpose is different, you know. Like I, 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 I try to turn my will over to God every day. Mm-hmm. That's my deal, you know. And I don't talk a lot about this on my social media thing, too, because I want to reach people that, you know, sometimes when you, you know, it's just like the military thing. Sometimes when you go the Christian only route or the military only route or all that, you're leaving out the largest group of people. And those are the ones that are sick, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. You definitely get pigeonholed into one. They're
1: the ones that need it. Yeah. So I just try to let my content on social media and some of it's risky. Some of sometimes, guess what? I say swear words sometimes on there, guys. I try to beep it out, but you know, I say swear words sometimes. you know, so it's i I'm you know, come and watch the watch the content, find laughter, find some positivity through laughter, not to push my t-shirts, but I sell these as well. so <laughs> positive, you know, try to find that's my message, positivity through laughter. um, find your purpose to serve other you know. So come to the page and enjoy the comedy and all that kind of stuff. But those that stick around, hopefully you'll hear a, hear the message that we're sharing today. It's happening right now. You know, yeah, that's the yeah. goal.
0: Yeah, it's happening right now. This is yeah. this is part of that part of the exactly. goal. This is part of the culmination of that man.
1: And this Good. is where you get the real, you know, content. And and you want to know the story about you know how I got to where I'm at with the social media. So, you know, this is the real message here. You know, is is there's a purpose to your life. We're all designed to serve in some kind of way. Find that purpose and you won't even feel like you're, you know, struggling in life anymore. Because I was struggling in life. I didn't want to be, you know, life was hard for me every day. You know what I mean? Getting up was not enjoyable, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a miserable place to be. And some people, it's so miserable that they can't handle it and they kill themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a real problem we have today. Um. Fortunately, I didn't reach that point, Mm -hmm. but I was miserable and I felt trapped and I didn't want to be, you know, and I don't have to live like that anymore because now every day it's like, man, there's so much more to this, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I've got that, I'm finding that purpose. I'm finding that way of life, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and it, and it makes all those other problems that I was struggling with just non-existent. Yeah. At least for that day. Yep yeah you hit the nail on the head man having
0: having purpose in christ and and by the way christ gives every one of his sons and daughters a purpose within his body we all have a we all have a gift we're all unique uniquely designed and created and made within the body of christ and called to be a part of the body of christ so that we can fulfill that purpose within the body and christ ultimately is, the, is the, the answer to despair. So if you, I've, I've talked about this over and over again, you have two choices in this life. You're gonna suffer, but if you, if you choose to suffer alone, you will ultimately find yourself in despair, which means you will find yourself in a moment with the total and complete absence of hope. And that's when people take their lives that's when people give up and they may stay alive but they might as well be gone, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, but if you choose Christ, you can suffer in life. Your suffer will your suffering will always have a meaning and you will always have a purpose. So you become immune to despair. And despair is the thing that's killing people. Right. Despair is the the thing that's killing people. You understand what I'm saying? That When you, when you get to the point that you can go and murder another human being, when you get to the point that you can take your own life, where you get to the point that you can, that you can, uh, you know, commit some, some violent, heinous crime against another human being. It's because you're hopeless. Yeah. There's no meaning to life. So purpose in Christ is what staves off despair because this life is freaking hard, man. And you better find you better find some purpose in the hard stuff, and you better find some purpose in your day to day, or you're going to succumb to to despair.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: A- at the end of the day, that's that's just the that's the two options that we have as
1: human beings. Um, and I was just looking on my phone. It's the prayer of Jabez, J A B E Z. Okay, I, I uh, would encourage you and, and your listeners to look at that book. Um, if you search prayer of Jabez, I'm sure the book will come up, but it's pretty cool. It breaks down the prayer and explains why each part is what it, you know, what it represents. So Mm -hmm. try it, say it every day, you know? And, uh, that's how I was challenged. Like, why not? It takes 10 seconds. See if it works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I hit my knees and I say it and I haven't stopped and it, you know, things continue to, to grow. And they will, they will continue
0: to grow. Um, yeah, Blake just taught a message on prayer on resurrected this past Sunday. It was oh, cool. a great message. So that's over there on Patreon. Um, I do want to talk about Evan, the genesis of fit to serve, the genesis of uh, the name. Let's start with that. You you kind of alluded to it over the the last you know couple of
1: minutes of our conversation, but how did you nail that down? You know, so originally, and I haven't shared this before, I don't think, on any other platform. But originally, when I got out of the military and I was in that period where I was, you know, getting sober but still struggling a little bit, I started a little workout group, and it was I called it Fit to Serve. It was going to be free for whoever wanted to come. Uh, we would work out outside. It would it would start with uh, uh, or start with the workout in with a Bible study. All right. And the idea behind it is is kind of what fit to serve means now for me. But it was also along the principles of like more so focused on the physical aspect of it. Like God calls us to go out into the field and harvest, you know, mission work, basically. How can we go if we're not physically fit to go? Mm-hmm. That was my idea behind it. So it was like a workout thing with a a message or a purpose of, I'm trying to get in shape so that I can be a better servant of God and and go out and serve other, you know. um, And I just didn't really stick with it. And I remember I was sharing with you that I was still kind of in a place where I was struggling. So it just sort of, it started off great and then sort of fizzled out. I left it alone, but it stayed my username for a while. Okay. And then whenever I came back to making content, I always liked the name Fit to Serve. (coughs) Excuse me. I decided to make that my TikTok name. And uh, because it was already my Instagram, decided to make it my TikTok, and then I just started putting out my comedy videos under that name. Mm -hmm. So that's where really um, when I got it back going, I was thinking, yeah, I know what fit to serve means. But at the time, I just started doing comedy stuff. But then as the comedy grew... I was able to share what fit, because people would ask, "What does your yeah. username mean? And I was like, well, let me tell you about it. So I made a video on Instagram, and I think I shared it on TikTok as well, explaining what fit to serve means for me. Uh-huh. And that's kind of where it started, and then I just decided to keep it. And,
0: and I got to <laughs> ask, Chili asked before, um, why comedy? Because you could, you, you first of all, You've got uh, you've got an amazing life story. You've overcome all kinds of difficulties and and failures and struggle, and you've got you've got so much so m- much richness about your life that you could have went any different direction, man. And so, why did you why did you choose um, to go? Obviously you're you're really good at it. Did you know you were good at, at the comedy stuff? Like, why did you choose to go
1: that route? Because you could have went 100 different directions, man. Yeah, so I'm just more comfortable making people laugh. Um, I've used that in my life for a lot of different things, whether it was maybe I was full of fear, and I, I found the outlet of comedy to mm-hmm. get through that. You know, military guys, we talk a lot of times about the dark humor that comes along with that, and a lot of that's just laughing so we don't cry or laughing so we don't lose control because of anger or laugh, you know using it as an outlet so yep. i've done that my whole life um <clears throat> i wasn't um you know i used that to make friends people liked me because i was funny yeah um and I, and a lot of times it was harmful to me because i was just not harmful but uh I could use it to be inappropriate. I could use it to put others down. I was really good at putting other people down, saying things that were hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear that phrase a lot, hurt people hurt people. You know, like I'm hurt, so I'm going to hurt you. So I've used comedy for that as well. But I've just always been the funny guy. Um, As I got further down this social media road and started... You know, making these comedy videos. A lot of that was because <clears throat> I was learning to love myself again. That's another big part of my message. Is I didn't know how to love myself. I hated myself. Mm. I hated myself for the divorce. I hated myself for the the mistakes I've made. I've hated myself for <clears throat> all these different reasons. So I was learning to love myself again. Okay. I've been in shape my whole life. You know, well, guess what? I hit my mid-30s and you know, <laughs> got sober and and then found comfort in eating food instead of using and, and being lazy and all that stuff. And I got out of shape. And but for the first time in a long time, because I was still on this right path, I was able to love myself. You know, do I want to be healthier physically? Absolutely. But I started making these videos and it was freeing for me. At first, the TikTok thing and all those videos were just a way for me to kind of um, show myself that I'm comfortable in my own skin. Wow. You know, it really wasn't about, like, I had no intentions at first about the videos doing so well and me growing, you know, I wanted that. I thought that would be cool. So there was a little purpose, but I wanted to see what worked. But a lot of it was me discovering, like, hey, I'm cool with me. Yep. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in an unhealthy way. You know, I've got a spiritual advisor I talk to all the time. Um, every week, we try to meet on Fridays. And he always tells me, you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks about you. You just have to worry about what God thinks about you. And I was like, that seems simple, but let me think about that for a minute. If I don't care what all of y'all are thinking about me, and I only care what God thinks about me, then that means I'm only trying to please God. And through that process, I'm probably going to do a lot better with y'all. You know? Yeah. I'm going to be more kinding and servant hearted and loving and all these different things, all these different attributes. If my focus is, what does God think about me? So I was able to take that mindset and then find a a way to make people laugh by kind of just not laughing at myself, but having fun through that process. Like, the fitness stuff is big. Well, I'm not fit, <laughs> you know, right now. I've been fit. Mm-hmm. I'm working to get back fit, but I'm not fit right now. But I make, I have a lot of success in that area because I'm kind of laughing at my journey. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And then people are relating to that. And that's what surprised me. I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know how you feel like you're the only one that thinks this way or yeah. has this thought or, you know, and then you, you put it out there on social media or something, and you find out, oh, lots of people feel like this. So the fitness thing started to take off first, and it took off because people who were out of shape like me and were wanting to get it healthy, but maybe they were too, too scared to go back into the gym or too uncomfortable or couldn't love themselves or couldn't, you know, they were starting to gain that confidence just from me making these silly videos, basically poking fun of myself a little bit. And i would get messages from people like hey seriously i know you're just being funny but uh you're really helping me you know i struggle with weight gain and i've gained 50 pounds and i'm trying to lose it and i was too ashamed to get back into the gym but i get up whenever you do these funny workout videos and i do the workout with you and that was never man (laughs) at first the that was never at first the the idea because i'll you've seen the videos you know i'll do some actual kind of little workout videos and then I started being purposeful about it, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be funny with this, and do the right music, and do these, you know, the the right uh, <clears throat> angles with the camera to make it funny. But I'm going to throw a little bit of actual workouts in there, you know, push ups, air squats, whatever, just to help people be encouraged enough to get up. Maybe they're at home, sitting on the couch, they're scrolling through, and they're like, man, I, I want to, I want to. This is inspiring me to get up and move. And that's what was happening. People were seeing that. And then they would get up. And even if it was 30 to 60 seconds, at least they're moving.
0: Yeah. And yeah. then
1: let's take that motivation and hopefully that manifest into, you know, maybe them getting back into the gym one day. And so I started finding that purpose for myself in this process. Like, okay, people love the comedy. I feel comfortable with that. I, I, I feel like I've got the capability to make things funny. Now, what am I going to do with it? You know, what am I going to do with this audience that I'm getting? Am I just going to try to make them laugh? And then, or, or what's the meaning behind it? Yeah. So then it kind of helped me start discovering a purpose. And I started just going into these different little avenues of of things like the pickleball thing i've been doing that you know to try to get back in shape and first started playing pickleball way back whenever i went to that last treatment center it's like god put that in my life like hey i'm gonna introduce you to pickleball Hmm. real quick evan and then you're gonna be at the major league pickleball tournament years later (laughs) you know handing paddles out to you guys and you know getting flown over here to do this pickleball thing and flown over you know and it's like dude i'm i'm it ain't about the pickleball you know that's great, but people are coming to laugh and then I'm trying to feed them something else does that make sense man that
0: yeah. makes total sense <clears throat> and what a totally unique and like innovative angle to work um because you're an amazing human being uh and and i I don't know that I don't know that anybody's approached. <laughs> Inspiring other people purposefully, inspiring other people, um, but almost at the same time covertly, <laughs> you're you're drawing them, and then they uh, they're inspired, and and they're they're getting up and starting to move, and they're they're you're you're giving them this opportunity to feel, uh, to to feel like holy crap! I no, I can I can get up and move, like yeah. I want to get back in shape. I totally get that. I, could, I couldn't imagine. Dude, I, I hammer on people all the time about being fat. I hammer on them all the yeah. time, but I don't know what it feels like to be fat. Yeah, I'm just going to be straight up with you, man. I've been a skinny stick my whole life. I can eat whatever the crap I want. Yeah. I, I, I have no struggle with it at all. Like I can't imagine what it feels like though to actually get to the point where you are significantly overweight and what that does to you mentally and how hard it would be to get up and say, okay, no, I, I'm going to walk into this gym. I'm going to actually move my body. There's got to be a point for so many people that they get to where they actually begin to think, no, I, that's not for me anymore. I'm too far gone, right? And then they see you up on the video with <laughs> yeah. your shirt off, hanging it all out there yeah. and having fun doing it. Right. And they're like, holy crap, man. That looks fun. Yeah. And look at this guy. Yeah. Like, he's on his journey. Um, and I can do it, too. What do you yeah. need? It's, 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 it's an unheard of gift that you're giving to so many people because obesity is a, is a, a significant problem. And it's, yeah. a, it's a deep, deep-rooted problem it's not just about eating it, it there right. for so many people it's about so many different things oh, yeah, that yeah. have happened in their life and so many different things led them to that point right right and um, I don't know man just to hear you lay it all out there and and how you you've been purposeful about it and you you've been you've been the for the reasons you've been doing it and I didn't pi- I picked up when I first started watching you that there was something really special about you, but I didn't pick up that much per. I didn't pick up the purpose that you just described because I'm a skinny ultra runner, right? Right. <clears throat> but to hear it and hear you lay it out and the angle that you're able to work using your gifts and where you are right now with the body that you're in, yeah. and what you're doing with it, right. Freaking is awesome, dude.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I I don't want to say like or want people to think that maybe God made me fat for this season to fit, you know. But then I also think about like because I have been in shape, and a lot of people don't know that I have been in shape a lot most of my life. I've been in shape more in my life than I've been out of shape. Yeah. And I got out of shape, you know in a pretty quick amount of time, put on weight fairly quick, started eating, started finding comfort in food and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, So there's so many aspects to that right now that I think about because I can personally say that I know the struggle. It sucks. Um, It sucks like finding clothes that fit right and doing all this stuff. And so it's like I can understand because when I was a younger personal trainer, I was like you, I could not understand why people would be overweight. I was like, I just don't get it. Don't you know how better you'll feel whenever you're healthy and blah, blah, blah? And why would you want to feel that way and do this way? And then whenever I you know, got in my later 30s and got out of shape, it was like, I get it now. This is tough, especially when you get out of shape, you get comfortable. You can get comfortable being uncomfortable that's right yeah it becomes your new normal it's your new normal and it's just i gotta deal with it you know and now i'm gonna wear slip-on shoes only because i don't want to bend over and tie my shoes and now i'm gonna wear waistband things because i don't want to but fortunately i i don't want to just go down that rabbit hole further i want to be healthier and that that came from like i was saying earlier okay i've got purpose again in my life I love myself again. I get, you know, all these things, you know, I've got, I feel like I've, I, I've, I'm good with who I am, no matter what I look like. But now, because of that, now I want to do something about my health because I enjoy being on this earth again. So it's like, it's almost like I had to go through this, you know, whole period in life, see what it feels like to be, you know, overweight for my size and my body and all that stuff and then experience the struggles that it takes to just get back up and moving so a lot of these videos were helping me too because i would go make these funny fitness videos and then when i was done making it i would be out out of breath yeah like man that was tough and i would be like i gotta do more of this because i gotta get in better shape and then i would go to the gym after and do just a little bit more and then do a little bit more and then and it started from doing these little funny videos. Yeah. So going back to what we were just talking about, if those videos seem to be helping other people that same way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what really drives my motivation to continue this journey when I get those messages and I get all that stuff. You know, I was telling you earlier, um, I very rarely get negative comments. I just don't get a lot of them. You know, people they enjoy the comedy, they enjoy the... I think people can see, too, that there's pretty much not a lot I can say to this guy because of what he's putting out here on the camera. You know, he's not going to care if I try to put him down or whatever. But every now and then, you'll get people that just say hateful things. Um, and I've made it a purpose to, to find those comments and make sure I respond to those comments. Mm. And I respond to those comments in a way that helps me grow as a person, Right. So I just say, hey, you know, you're right. I do got to lose some weight. You know, yeah. I appreciate you making that comment. I'm, I'm actually on a fitness journey. Check out some of my other videos if you have a chance. Hope you have a great week. And so many times, dude, you will get messages back from those people. And, and they'll say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I just went and watched some of your other videos. I think what you're doing is awesome, blah, blah, blah. Now, not every time, but it's like, If you can just, if I can just, cause it's hard, you know, I want to be like, don't you know who I am or don't you know who I think I am? You know, like I was in the infantry not long ago and been to Afghanistan and served, you know, I I could throw all that in their face, yeah. but why, you know, why don't I just thank them and show them some love and some kindness that maybe they're not getting from wherever they're at in life and just move on. Man, you're an awesome example. You are an awesome example. (laughs) And that's helped me grow. Yeah. That's what strength looks like for me. I used to think strength was fighting people like that, like, "Oh, you are gonna say something to me? Well, I'm gonna say something." To you know, that's how I come on, man. Thought, that's what I thought yeah. strength. That's what I thought it was to be a man, right? Yeah, that's what I thought it was to be a man. If you disrespect me or say something to me, I'm not a man if I don't react. If I don't fight you or say something back, I'm weak. And then I learned that that's actually weakness, man. How much harder is it to show that person grace and love and kindness? That's Are y'all hearing this? That's cutting you off in traffic. That's in your face calling you fat. That's saying, you know, how much harder is it to be like, hey, you know, you're right, dude. I do got to lose some weight. I hope you have a great week, man. Take care. Are y'all hearing this, That's YouTube? What's hard. Are you hearing this, YouTube?
0: You better be hearing this, man. Because what the man's telling you is the exact truth. But what the man's telling you is the exact opposite of what you're seeing happen. Right. All over the place right now. So be careful who you're daggone hitching your wagon to. Be careful who you're looking up to. Be careful who you're going to to emulate. Because it's likely the opposite of what true strength really is. Mm. Y'all better listen up, son. If, 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 If this podcast was just that clip, that's a clip the world needs to hear right now. Gosh, dude, you're an awesome example of a person. i tell you what, too, man. Uh, I'm going to open it up to Blake, Chili, and also to YouTube for any questions here in just a second. YouTube, if you got any questions for Evan, hit them in the chat. Uh, tech guy, if he's gracious, will take note of them and write them down. But uh, y'all know <laughs> how he is. Um, but here's the thing, man'. as you continue to do your thing, Evan, you continue to share your journey and you you do eventually uh you do get back in shape, you do get healthier again um like your story's already amazing, <laughs> and you could just stay like you are and just keep doing what you're <laughs> yeah. doing like there's a big part of me that's like. Man, I don't want Evan to get back in shape. I want him to keep yeah. doing what he's doing. <laughs> but then there's a big part of me that's like, no, this is this this dude is a very unique human being, and I want him to live as long and be on this right. earth as long as he can be on this earth. Um, and when you do complete that part of your journey your story is just gonna get that much more powerful exactly. it's just it's like gonna it's it's gonna be this mag and it's already magnificent what you I mean we haven't even we haven't it, it would take us multiple episodes to hit to, to dissect all the divorce the uh, all right. the aspects of recovery all all we've just hit right. the high points right but it's already magnificent but now you this is just another layer of that you're adding to complete this, this story that God has given you. And while it's happening, you're not wasting the time. You're actually utilizing the time step by step. Right. You're, you're serving others. You're fulfilling your purpose. You're Man,
1: if we could all do that, <laughs> well, how much different would this world look like, son? It's so funny because I do get comments all the time like, um, if he gets in shape, he's not going to be what funny I anymore. I you knew know. you got those. It's such bullcrap,
3: man. <laughs> it is. It's such bullcrap.
1: Yeah, my thing is, is, dude, I've been funny my whole life. I, You know, That's it. I was funny when I was in shape. I'm funny when I'm, you know, I, I just find, I have a, I think I've been, one thing that I was born, a gift, if you will, is to see things in life comedically. I think that's what some of the best comedians can do no matter where they're at in life is see things comedically and the other part of that is you know what if that happens so what you know uh, then then my message just you know continues to what it is the ultimate message is and you know if i were to sit here and and keep talking about um you know trying to motivate people to get up and move and lose weight and stuff and i don't do it myself then I'm a hypocrite, you know? Yeah, I can't just keep telling you I'm on a weight loss journey and not lose weight, (laughs) you know? That's not what it's about. Like, honestly, I don't care. I want to get in shape again because I want to be healthy and live a life. I I know that God will find uh, ways to use that, you know? So, and I'm like I said, I'm not concerned. uh, I don't concern myself with what the world thinks about me. I just try to keep that one audience, and that allows me to to, you know, continue this journey and, and know that whatever happens, as long as I'm staying in the right will, you know, then it's ultimately the best thing that could happen. Yep. Man,
3: when, when he, when you started talking about the transition into making that type of content on Instagram, as you kept talking and you talked about, you know, the journey that you're on, all I could think about was, because I've heard it said to other people with different things of like, man, are you worried you won't, You won't be funny anymore. I was, you said it, but I was going to tell you, man, please don't worry about that because that's not what makes you funny. You are a funny guy. It has nothing to do with that. That's just where you're at right now. And you're, you're funny. Like you'll be funny you'd be funny as a tall six foot eight guy. Yeah. You'd be funny as a short guy. I mean, overweight, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Like he's gifted man. Yeah. I watched just,
0: him working today. I watched yeah. him work. That's nothing to do, do with that just gift. Yeah. There's
3: absolutely nothing to do with that. So, but, but I
1: know you already know that. And, um, well, I appreciate it for sure. Cause it definitely helps to, to hear that. And I've had just random, you know, fans, um, say that as well, you know, yeah, so I it's, like I, it's like I was saying, man, it's just one of those things I feel confident in. You know, in, in well, dude, uh, I think you're
3: funny because of what you say and how you act and how you present yourself. It doesn't yeah. even have anything to do with it. Yeah. I mean, it's – but, um, yeah, another thing. I, th- man, I've been sitting here thinking this too, and I'm not usually – I don't think of myself as like a super corny guy. But <laughs> what I'm sitting here thinking about you is – well, maybe I am. <laughs> but I mean, what I'm about to say has never come out of my mouth, this type of corny. But you are literally, like, you've got such a light, man. Like, like, like I don't, that's an overused term. And whenever the people say it to other people, I kind of cringe. I'm like, what do you, t- What's that even mean? But I know what it means, like, when I see you and I hear you talk and I see the passion in your voice talking about serving other people. And just when you got out of the truck today and met us and we filmed the stuff, I mean, I'm like, dude, you bring light to me, to us uh to everybody that comes in contact with you i mean i know what it meant like you you embody that and also i believe you man like i think you mean it when you say you're on a weight loss journey and i don't even know how hard that's gonna be or is or or anything like that but your whole story is just riddled with examples of you overcoming big obstacles that kind of seem insurmountable at the time whether it's addiction to uh opiates or your military career or whatever it is and you've overcome it each and every time so this is just the next one and i i see no reason to think you won't do it again if, if that's what you really want to do and i believe it is what you want to do so you're just going to keep growing like you said in in all ways and that doesn't just mean that the follower count it means everything yeah. so you
0: yeah, actually can't. I appreciate it. I mean, you actually can't. I mean it,
3: man. I don't say stuff I don't mean. Oh, yeah, and I appreciate that for sure, bro.
0: You actually can't fail. When when you're, when you're doing what Evan's talking about, he, he described it as the audience of one. Yeah. When yeah. you do what he's talking about, you actually can't fail. That's you right. actually take yeah. all the risk out of it. Anything, anything that you're doing. Yeah. You, you just... It, it is impossible to fail. Um, you, you are uh you are anointed the, these uh with the with the life that i've gotten to live i've i've gotten to be around very special people you being one of those um people who have achieved great things and who are very well known and and you what you come to realize is special people aren't are special people by accident it's because they they're anointed There's something uh, about them that when you get around this person, it's like you just can't help but want to be around them. I mean – I filmed videos for two hours this morning and didn't get mad a single time. <laughs> no, like, you don't understand. How, that never like, happens. I was going to you normally get mad? <laughs> oh, I, I usually, at... I, I hate,
1: I hate <laughs> doing videos. I'm glad know that now man. after we film because I'd have been nervous to make it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and it's just, it's just that, that anointing that you have. And, and for all you guys listening, if you can comprehend what Evan's telling you about um looking looking to your creator and looking to God as the the author and finisher of your faith and your life and daily submitting yourself to him and doing everything in your power to please him, praise him, serve him uh, fulfill his purpose within his kingdom you can't you can't fail right it's 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 impossible. Yeah, so Blake, what's up, man? What's up, Tech? <laughs> uh, I mean, we
2: got any? You, you can say what you. Yeah, let me talk. Just hush, man. Let me talk here. <laughs> <Friggin'> turd. <laughs> I mean, I would. As you talked, what stood out to me was that a lot of things, you know, God certainly didn't have that for your life of opiates, of even gaining weight and where you're at now. Like that's, I would, I yeah. would could argue that God didn't have that for your life sure. and that we add those things to our life. But through that, if we continue to serve God, He uses that to glorify his name, right? The Bible says that God uses all things for the good of those who loved him, who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's for us. And it's also for other people. So yeah. You're you love God and you are called according to his purpose, and so are the rest of his children. And so he's using that for you and also using you for that for other people, right? Yeah. So the the testament that you gave of people reaching out and getting because you know you can say fitness journey is a fleshly thing and stuff, but it's not being in shape and and is biblical. You talked about the whole uh, you know creation of fit to serve and where right. that came from and being fit so that you can go and so you know all these things. Sure. And so God is using you and the what you, where you're at right now to serve. Through your whole journey. So it's just cool to see that. it. To me, it's just a testament of the things that we do uh, to ourselves that God doesn't necessarily have for us. He still uses us in that process, and it's not like we, oh, well, hold on, let me get back in shape before God can use me. Let me get back off of these pills before God can use me. Those should be goals, but he can use you right where you're at now oh, if you yeah. have a willing heart. Right? Absolutely. So that's what stood out to me. To everything and i mean i'm just honored to sit here and listen to it
1: yeah, yeah. appreciate it does uh, uh does the
0: tube got anything worth worth talking
2: about well a lot of them you know they just begin to ask these silly questions and uh but there was <laughs> let's see uh one here that's a good question for evan this is from rent collector it, you up? and him got something in college. what's up rent collector <laughs> uh, he says what standards have you set for what standards have you set out for your journey so, probably talking about the weight loss probably. Yeah, but you'd answered in whatever manner you want because he didn't say.
1: Yeah. So, if, if, if in regards to, to losing weight, um, you know, I make a lot of videos poking fun at CrossFit, and that has led me to a CrossFit gym. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, got invited uh, by an awesome gym there in, in Hoover, um, and uh, it's like Over the Mountain Fitness um there in hoover's crossfit style gym and they are been super helpful working with me there and then uh, actually it's like these gyms have just been offered up you know after making some of this content but that same gym that i was working at before i joined the military that a friend of mine owns is still open in hoover it's like hoover fitness and i go there as well so it's like i do these classes crossfit style and then i've been doing some stuff at the gym but another big part of that has been um eating right nutrition's huge um i am one that my idea right now of doing better when it comes to eating is just not eating doordash all the time (laughs) making myself go to the grocery store buy my food there prepare my food at home and i find that just through that process i'm eating healthier um and then, in terms of just like setting standards for, um, you know, myself in the social media career, man, it's like I've got these goals, um, eat, you know, for the year and certain places that I want to be. We talked about stand up comedy at lunch, you know, and putting on a show and looking at opportunities to do something like that. So I've got certain things that I want to do. And, um, you know, we got the merchandise out, which we, we've done pretty well. God's definitely blessed us in that area as well. Man, March was a big month for us selling some of the T-shirts, which obviously helps me to be able to do this um, as well. And it helps just get people asking about the Fit to Serve brand. So hopefully that answers his yeah. question. No, oh, that's great. Um, Gage Grizzles on here. He
2: said, Chad, is Evan allowed to eat Bojangles?
1: I heard you don't like bojangles you don't like bojangles
0: i've been trying i've been on a mission against bojangles
1: for years tell me about that because i'm a big bojangles guy (laughs) i mean i i can't be it's gotten worse over the years but man a good cajun fillet chicken biscuit with some ranch come on
3: man
0: (laughs) glad to tell you What what dry, really the root of it? A lot, a lot of it, a lot of my rants. He's against, just he's just angry. A lot of my rants against Bo Jangles are are <laughs> that exactly. They are rants, but you know, a lot of it to me is I see so many people in my own community here, especially in the South, when I walk around and I I see so many people who are like really overweight yeah but they don't even realize it because it's it's become so normal to sure. be overweight that an yeah. overweight person think well they're just like everybody else right <laughs> and um and what really gets gets me passionate is contrary to popular belief i actually care about people Like, I want every person to be able to reach their maximum potential in life. I want them to be happy and healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually. I know how much this life with Christ in a healthy body has to offer to each and every one of us. And it's important for us as individuals. It's important for us as a community. It's important for us as a nation. That we all strive for. That uh, one of my good friends, Andy Frasilla, always says, uh, "Personal excellence is the ultimate rebellion." Actually, much of our our freedom as citizens of the United States is is rooted in our physical and mental, personal physical and mental health. Right? Because if you are if you are unhealthy. Physically, you are dependent on the system because eventually you're going to have to be on some sort of medication. You're gonna you're gonna have something that takes you out of the the workforce or your ability to serve your community. And and I I think that obesity in communities and in our nation is one of the things that's largely been normalized, but it's one of the things that's really uh really making our uh, contributing to the collapse of our nation. And so I get really fired up about that because I care about people. I care about my community. I care about my country. I don't want people to be a slave to big pharma. I don't want people to be, to not be able to get out and, and plant a garden to, to work in the community, to use their bodies purposefully. And so when I, like when I go by the Bojangles down here in town, like, Yeah, it may be good food, but let me tell you, they are a huge contributor. All of these fast food chains are a huge contributor to the problem with obesity. Now, we live in a capitalistic society. If you want to sell unhealthy food, you should have the right to sell unhealthy food. I'm a man of principle. If I was going to open a restaurant and serve food, to people sell food to people it i would by my conscience it would have to be healthy food it just i'm a man <laughs> yeah, of principle yeah. right and i go by these fast answer. food chains down here in town and there's a daggone line wrapped around bojangles and every one of those people in that line i'm looking at them and they're sick yeah they're i they're they're uh, they're uh, uh horrifically overweight they're just and and uh, it fires me up, man. And Bojangles specifically because it's the one that has the line wrapped it's the around one that it. That
1: has the best food. Yeah, That's right. I, I'm Everybody's glad there. I uh, went to Jack's this morning and not Bojangles. So. Yeah. <laughs> I feel much better about exactly that. right. <laughs> no, I'm getting it that Bojangles is just the the word that represents all yep. of the all the fast <laughs> food big pharma, change. all yeah. the fast food chains, <laughs> yeah. all the things that are detrimental to your health. <laughs> yeah know that yep. the government allows that's, it. that's what bojangles means man yeah <laughs> it, it really does to me so it just when, so happens that it's the bojangles you pass <laughs> that, that if that was a mcdonald's you'd be saying the same yeah thing. yeah i get yeah. it that's what it says i the, love
3: uh, it you look that up in urban dictionary it'll just be a clip out of what chad just said so that's what bojangles
0: means (laughs) when somebody runs a car through the front window of bojangles down here in rome like they did a couple of weeks ago i'm rooting for that dude man it's (laughs) because
2: their foot was so fat it couldn't touch just the just the brake it hit the gas pedal too
3: (laughs) i bet nobody outside of rome heard that news story that that bojangles got a car rammed on my story well what little do they know who paid for that
0: you got to keep that on the download. low. Yeah. Wow. I'm My friend out. ran
1: into a Wendy's one time in Panama City, but that was from drinking too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> Spent the night in <sighs> Bay County Jail. Well, guys, thank you all
0: for uh, joining in on this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I have to just, one more time, fit to serve
1: one on Instagram. Right, yeah. What about websites? So if you go to my Instagram, I've got a link tree right now. That's got all my socials, um, working on the website aspect, but all my stuff is if you go to Instagram, that'll connect you with, just follow that link tree in my bio. It'll, it'll take you to all my stuff. Currently Roger that. So you guys go connect with Evan. Thank him for this, uh,
0: episode for taking the time out of his, uh, his life and his schedule to come out here and share his testimony with us, his purpose with us, his story with us so openly and so honestly. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to do that, man. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And, and you're a, you're, you are a mature, uh, example, good example of a person. I want as many people to find out about you as possibly can. Um, so hopefully We can do some work together in the future. I know Evan and I, we were talking over breakfast. It would really be really cool to host an event sometime where we have a private venue, YouTube. You guys can buy some tickets, come out. Evan can do some stand-up comedy. We can do some speaking engagements, some Q&A, eat a good dinner together. That would be a blast, man, to to make something like that happen. So I'm going to keep that definitely in the forefront of my mind because I think there's there's a big... um, a big opportunity there. And I cannot wait to to continue to follow your journey, Evan, and to see uh, everything come to where it, it's going to come to and, and to see things just continue to infinitely be come more powerful and and the story becoming more complete and all the the hundreds of millions of people that you're going to be able to help that need help, that need someone like you doing exactly what you're doing in your own unique way. Uh, Very special, man. We enjoyed it. Enough said.